My name is Optimus Prime, and this is Below the Belt Show. Eat your heart out, Megatron. That's Roll out. Peter Collin, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. The Below the Belt Show is closed captioned for the hearing impaired. It is now time for the bad boys of Baltimore. Pips up. Goes down. Soto, your host with the most here for your weekly pleasure. That's right, each and every week. We give it to ya. We give the best to ya. Uh, and uh, this week is certainly no exception. Um, we're actually going to introduce our guest co-hosts this week. As um, some of our regular co-hosts like to take their damn time. But nonetheless, let's go ahead and introduce someone that's actually been on BTB back at BTV 2.0 at WMBC Studios, now that we're BTV 3.0, the virtual edition. This is his first time on the virtual edition of BTV. He's a brilliant writer, director, producer, a fan of everything pop culture, and uh, and I ran in ran into him at the Fan Expo in Philadelphia this past Sunday, and uh, glad to welcome him back. Uh, Michael Doherty. Hey, glad to be back, Al. How you doing? Yeah, good to have you on BTB. Uh, it's been a while. Last time I saw you, we were literally in the UMBC. Like, I can uh, clearly see that room in my brain. Last time we were on the show, however, we have run into each other at a few cons. No, 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 yeah, I'm just have. talking about on the show. We've already but on the show, yes. outside of that, but on the show, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And let's talk about the con that we that I guess brought, brought us back together. That you know, for you to be invited back on BTB, which you know, I think it's awesome that you're back uh, on the I show because you know, when people move, you know, and and I know that you have moved from the Maryland area, but that's the thing Did. about BTB virtual. We can bring our hosts from all over the place. And uh, love it, um, Mike. I'm glad you're back on BTB. But we had a great time at the um, Fan Expo in Philly. Yeah, that was insane. Uh, I, uh, I had been to fan expos in Philly before and they've been, they've been good. You know, they, they kind of get large in some areas yeah. between Charlie Cox, between the kid from stranger things, back to the future cast, Sam Raimi, that place was crowded and insane with people. Absolutely. What, what was the highlight for you for the weekend? Oh, I mean, where do I start? I mean, you have all the nostalgia of my eighties youth with, the Back to the Future cast with Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, um, and uh, Tom Wilson. So you had Marty, Doc, and Biff. 
Then yes. you had Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime. Well, you uh, heard in the Jody opening Benson. promo. Yeah, I'm so impressed that you got that. That's amazing. So then you go full circle to you have the guy that bridges nostalgia with Sam Raimi, who did the original Evil Dead, on the end, all the way to uh, Doctor Strange to, you know, Right. What, I can't remember the rest of the title. Brilliant. And then bringing it all the way current with uh, Shamik Moore, the new Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Like it's it, it's kind of hard for me to put right. my finger on what is the highlight when you have so much there. And of course, uh, to the young cast from Stranger Things. Um, another great had, highlight. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and yes. Charlie Cox from Daredevil. Yes. Uh, you had Kate. Uh, Oh man, I'm just I'm so overwhelmed with how many like I I was Danielle Panabaker from The Flash, yeah. Which BTB got exclusive as well. Which uh, I'm happy to announce that we'll be playing at the end of the program, Mike. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. So a uh, pre-recorded interview on location at Fan Expo. Yeah, my highlight, you know, was um, I guess was yeah, definitely the two interviews that we um were able to uh, to get, and of course that's uh, Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, and Daniel Panabaker, uh, from The Flash. But um, you know, meeting meeting the cast of Stranger Things and seeing that panel was was definitely a highlight. Uh, Chachi McFly got to do the photo op with the Back to the Future cast. Um, awesome. I didn't. Have I did that as well. Awesome. I didn't have enough savings for that one. <laughs> No, I I saved up for a while for that one. When I saw the cast was, uh, you know, there's there's certain people you will save up and just throw money at. And, you yeah. know, on a combination of just proximity from location and then just everything with Michael J. Fox's health. I was health. Like, if I'm ever going to do it now is the time. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd's getting up there in age, you know, and, yep. and to get all three of them together is epic. And and it's um and now that the plexiglass um, debacle is, is, gone. is gone. That's what yeah. a lot of people are hesitant about. You know, you know, if you wanted to to get a photo of your favorite celebrity, but you had to stand between plexiglass during the pandemic was not fun. Um, but no, it uh, looked like everybody was action figures. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a display case, yeah. right? Yep. Yep, in a display case. So, uh, but yeah, that was a definite highlight for me, and. Um, um, you know, sadly, I was only able to attend Sunday, but uh, um, I know that you were um, you were able to be there at least two days, right? Oh, I was there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You were there all the three whole days. Oh yeah. Holy oh, smokes! Yeah. Wow, that is a dedicated, dedicated Comic Con fan for sure. Um, and looks look who decided to join us. Uh, my co-host extraordinaire, um, affectionately known as the man with the calming presence. Also known as the Persian Prince of Pop Culture, the Zadi, uh, the list goes on and on. Mike, the General Zod. Look who the cat dragged in. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's <laughs> awesome. It's always awesome to be here. I uh, just saw you last night, so apparently yes. I can't get enough of you. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we had to watch uh, Across the Spider-Verse, right? Yeah, of course we did. Yeah, and um, we're going to be talking about that film um, very shortly. And, and Mike is cool because he said he doesn't mind spoilers because he has a way of watching a movie and just uh, Xing everything out of the head, I guess. Right? Was that what you said, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, having having made movies myself and having been with friends that have made movies, kind of you have to teach yourself how to separate 
you know, what you hear from the final experience, because they're kind of two separate things. Like you're you're really looking at everybody's spoilers and opinions from their mm-hmm. perspective. And then you have to be able to go in with your own point of view. Yes. And that's that's my favorite thing. Well, that's so, kind of admirable that uh, what that yeah, means you're very able much so. to compartmentalize your thoughts and you don't let like um, spoilers or um, like initial opinions before you've seen it. You don't let mm-hmm. that color how you how you see it at all. No, I mean, I kind of look at it the same way, like when we're little kids and we go to Saturday morning cartoons like yeah. I grew up in the 80s. So like. You just forget how you could just sit down and lock into the screen and zone out and forget about the world around you. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing for me. Like when I go into like because theater tickets nowadays are ridiculous. You know, of course. it's uh, it's like three months of a script subscription on Netflix just to watch a single ticket of a movie. So if I'm going to spend that much money and even after the pandemic, go to a theater like I want to close my mind and just spend two hours, whatever the length of time is in this space to enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. So I kind of look at it like just like going back to being a kid and sitting down for Saturday morning cartoons. So does that does that uh, does that opinion change based on the quality of whatever it is you're watching or are you just, uh, you know, you're just taking in the entire like holistic experience, including, you know, to zone out Um, Zone in, my bad. <laughs> no, it's good. Zone out, zone in. I mean, I'm, you're just uh, you're disconnected from the world for the length of a movie. If it's good, I mean, if it's bad, it will remind you that you're sitting in an uncomfortable chair for two hours. But <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, for me, it is all about just the minute. I, as long as the movie can keep me locked in and keep me like if the story's good and the visuals are great, you know, it doesn't have to be an Oscar worthy film for me. The story just has to be good. Uh I can forget about the world. And then the weird thing is, is as soon as I hit the real world again, I get into that theater lobby or I get into my car, my brain starts connecting like everything that you guys are going to talk about and stuff I've heard from other friends and, you know, Mm -hmm. see if my opinions line up. But for that brief period of time, I'm in a box and the world is. That is great. But before we get into I'm glad that we'll have the opportunity to talk about it tonight. Yeah. And before we get into um, Across the Spider-Verse, I do want to shine the spotlight on, on Michael for a little bit because you are a, a director, producer, writer of uh, independent films. And I know one of your projects has been a decade or more in the making. Yes. Uh, yeah. We're so I had a, a film called Zcon that I was working on in 2014. Uh, and we had somebody raise and steal $31,000 from the production, which caused us to sh- shut down. Uh, right after that, like a bunch of life stuff happened. So I kind of had to like put filmmaking on hold for a couple years, but, uh, happy to announce that we're starting filming again in 2024 with the release around hopefully October of 2024. But, uh, I'm, I'm slowly walking myself into filmmaking again now. Wow. So 10 years in the making. Um, what, what, is there a story behind that? Like, I mean, you know that thirty-one thousand. Is there a story? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, this the story in and of itself could probably make a really good movie. You know, like wow. Um, and what I what I will say to anybody that's in the independent filmmaking world, and some people have already gone through something like this, like wait till the cash is in your hand. You know what I mean? Like uh, people will make a lot of promises. People will show up, and then 
things can fall apart really quickly. So I, I just kind of mm-hmm. hardened to the fact that like, unless it's a solid, tangible thing, mm-hmm. I, I remain optimistic, but realistic is, is more my speed. So I guess it was more like somebody pulled funding or... Um... So what ended up happening is we had... Uh, Part of the original concept of the company was that it's kind of like Habitat for Humanity, where people get together and they volunteer their time, and then 100% of the net proceeds go to charity. Like, mm-hmm. So what I did, Brown Coats Redemption, we ended up raising $117,000 in the course of 11 months. We split the money wow. between five charities uh, equally, which did, you know, phenomenal for some, you know, and for the larger ones, it was a great donation. So the idea with Zcon was to replicate that. We found a bunch of charities. We were going to put all the filming together and we had done some crowdfunding for it. We had raised some outside investment for it. And then we had this one person who we had done our due diligence. We had, you know, done our background check. She had a history of raising large amounts of money for nonprofit organizations. We had proof of people who had given her money at different events for our film because I'm a veteran uh, and the money was going to charity because we were a nonprofit at the time. So there were people that gave money to her. There were people that saw her at multiple events raising awareness for the film and the project. And then when it came time to deliver the goods, it was just a series of excuses to even so something so extreme as her husband had a heart attack and died. Oh, gosh. Jesus. Like the husband never existed. You're going to take death into a false uh, story. Wow. That's yeah. Pretty so low. It, pretty low. It, it got pretty low. We ended up part of the reason why I haven't talked about it for a very long time is we had to get the district attorney of New York involved. There was a long process about that. We're on the other side of it. But I also had to deal with, you know, when you get kind of kicked in the gut like that with a film project, especially when you're doing a lot of this around a day job. This isn't my fault. This wasn't my full time job. Like I'm working a nine to five and then I'm coming to the set and then spending all my free time doing this. Right. Um, it kicks the life out of your your interest in wanting to continue so i had to take some time away recon like put everything back together pay off some debts that were left from the film and then figure out an idea how we're coming back to do that and i'm happy to say that the idea is really good i'm really excited yes you told me before we started mike that you're going to use what you shot as flashback footage yeah so none of the stuff that we had done in 2014 is going to be wasted uh, we're going to use that as background footage as ba- as like flashback footage to kind of further the story. A lot of the same cast that we used are going to come back. So you get to see them as two different stages of their life, yes. you know, as, as in their adults as twenties and then the flashbacks them as teens. Now, uh, are these kids still acting or still interested in acting? Um, some, since some they have started? gone on to, some have gone to go to music. A lot of them have gone to music, which is really, really interesting. interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, It'll be really exciting to see what we do. Yeah, and the and I knew I know the plot loosely, but it's basically a zombie outbreak during a Comic Con, basically. So the original concept of Zcon, which I still have the script and I'd love to film that original version, was what if the zombie outbreak took place at a Comic Con? Because I used to go to Dragon Con and San Diego Comic Con and New York Comic Con back to yes. back to back, and we'd all get con crud. And we'd all get really like it's concrete's like the worst flu ever, right? Yeah. It keeps you down for days. Like COVID yeah. is probably the only thing that I've seen and, and had that is worse than concrete. So what if concrete was like the start of The Walking Dead? And that was kind of the idea is that these kids with a podcast go to a convention that just happens to be ground zero for a zombie outbreak. And they use their podcast as a way to communicate with the world of what happened. Huh. Um, 
so then the real outbreak happened. Like we had the pandemic. We saw yeah. what the world would look like. And the idea of the story moving forward is just the same as before. Like take the take a real thing and push it to the extreme a little bit. So in this world, what if all of the people that had you know, conspiracy theories about what was going to happen and we're going to turn into this apocalyptic world where people break into each other's houses, shoot each other. Like, what if that actually happened? And what yeah. would the look like world look like a couple years later? And that's kind of where the new film takes place. Wow. And that's so wow. cool that you get to resume production, use archive footage uh, from what you shot in 2014 and finally finish your project. So Best of luck, uh, Mike, with that. Thank you, I, I hope uh, we can promote that uh, when it's ready to talk about here on Below the Belt Show. I yeah. Got it. Awesome. But uh, why not um, segue into now other film stuff and uh, let's talk about stuff going on in the world of entertainment. And of course, we always start with movies here on BTB. So, uh, and of course, you got to hear our, uh, our entertainment theme song, right? <laughs> so here we go. That's off the chain. You're always complaining, Zod. <laughs> All right, the number one movie in America, no surprise, is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The second of now we know three feature films, three feature animated films, uh, open to 120.5 million in North America. So uh, that's actually ahead of expectation. And it's the third biggest opening ever for an animated film. Wow. And the best third ever biggest? for Sony Animation what, what, what as well. Were the, what were the movies above it? Um, well, I know Super Mario Brothers had uh, one of the top ones. And I think the number two was... Wasn't that um, Frozen? Oh, wait, no, no. This is the second biggest opening of 2003 to date. So I'm yeah. guessing... I'm guessing it was Super Mario Brothers at number one. Okay, but it yeah. said, they said it, it was the third biggest animated of t- t- was it of this year or of all time? Um, of all time, I don't have those three films, but I'm I'm assuming that Super Mario Brothers is the top, and I think it just um surpassed Frozen, and I think Frozen was actually number one at one point, and I think Super Mario Brothers surpassed that one, so I think. That puts Across the Spider-Verse uh, at number three. And it, of course, not adjusted for uh, inflation or anything. But, okay, um, so actually, I just found it. Okay, so... Was I right? Yeah. Super Mario is number, number one. And then the second one's a little surprising to me, but I guess not that much. It's Frozen 2. Not so Frozen. Was, I was yep. right. I was right. Yeah. It was Frozen, yeah. Well, the sequel, that is, yeah. Yeah. And then this one is number three. So that that's fantastic. Um, interestingly enough, Lord and Miller wrote the film, but they had a new director um, um, for this film, didn't they? Um, they produced it. And I believe the director, I think there's like a three directors for this film. Um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think with an animated film, you kind of have to have <laughs> multiple directors because... You're not you're not technically on set, you know. <laughs> so that that's pretty uh that's pretty interesting. But uh, let's talk about some of the highlights of uh, if we could. 
about the film. Um, first of all, I did love it. Um, I would say it's definitely one of the best animated films I've ever seen. Um, the the story itself was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the animation was fantastic. Um, and just a lot of the fan service, you know. Um, there was a lot of fan service in this film as well. Wasn't wasn't there, Zod? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were Easter eggs all over the place. Stuff like that, spy, uh, the spider buggy, <laughs> which was like the... Um, so there's this uh, really infamous Spider-Man story from, I don't know, some point in the 70s, like uh, about this um, this advertising agency that has this idea that they're going to um, enlist Spider-Man to do, you know, because Spider-Man is a relatively, you know, he's a, in the Marvel Universe. He was, you know, he's really well known and he's kind of infamous, but like likable enough. And the other thing is he's always like a big part of Peter Parker's story is usually that he's really poor. And so, um, they uh, the, the this advertising agency has this idea of coming up with a spider mobile and i mean of course it was a tie i mean it was a story in the comics where they kind of like effectively made fun of the spider mobile because it was completely pointless and it like broke down all the time and eventually um the supervillain the tinkerer took it over and tried to kill spider-man with it but <laughs> the um Having the spider buggy in there, I think, was such a great little uh, little Easter egg to that. And there's so many there, Zod. I mean, my God, let's start first of all with Spider-Man 2099. Oh yeah, well, I mean, he's a some of the major, major character. Major character, yeah, yeah. And it was created by uh, Peter David and artist Rick Leonardi. And I, what I loved about this film, they actually um, throw out, throw out a graphic of the particular issue where the, the character debuted. And they've done yeah. this multiple times throughout the film. And uh, he kind of served as a interesting antagonist, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he, they, they've always written him as being um, kind of different than Peter Parker. I mean, they even make a joke about it. Like uh, Peter B. Parker's like, you know, you're the only Spider-Man that's not funny. <laughs> and like, um, I thought that was fitting. I don't know. Oscar Isaac <laughs> played him super intense, which is kind of interesting to see. And yeah, that's cool that he voiced them. Very cool. And yeah, of course, I, and I got. Oh, go ahead. Lila was the the AI um, assistant of Miguel O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the comic, she's actually modeled after the appearance of Marilyn Monroe, but they took a different look for this uh, particular <laughs> version, right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I, I will say that, you know, Miguel O'Hara is not someone I I would have ever thought. I mean, up until about like 15 years, I mean, maybe 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago, maybe like five years ago. I could not have imagined in a million years Miguel O'Hara appearing as a, you know, major like a main he's he's one of the leads you know, one of the leads in a movie. <laughs> and uh, You never like, thought that would ever happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would have expected maybe he had like a, um, you know, because there was another character who's like really, really deep in Spider-Man lore who had a cameo appearance in the movie. Not not much of an appearance, but it, did, it out. did make me laugh to see him in there was uh, Ben Riley. 
Ben Riley, yeah. And um, why Ben did Riley, that, why did you chuckle when he came out? I don't know. It's well, for one thing, Andy <laughs> Samberg doing the voice of Ben Riley that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and like um, the other thing, he is. I mean, like Andy Samberg did that his whole like Andy Samberg playing Nicolas Cage type voice. Yeah. And uh, which was. And I don't know. I mean, I know there's a lot of comic book fans that love Ben Riley that are big fans of his. And um, I'm not one of them. You're I mean, not I one never, of them. I never really liked that character that much. I mean, it's a it's a throwback to what I consider like the worst period of Spider-Man. And um, so like when he shows up now, I'm like uh, and like they just really recently in Marvel did a major story with Ben Riley where he retook the the mantle of Spider-Man again for a while and, um, you know, kind of. I mean, something that's kind of true to the whole like Spider-Man mythos, Spider-Man mm-hmm. like um, <clears throat> kind of the uh, the archetype is. Ben Riley fucks up a lot. <laughs> he fucks up a whole lot more than Peter Parker does. And that's sometimes like fun to see. And um, you know, I think, you know, having the Andy Samberg voice and doing that with him, I thought worked. I mean, of course, in the comics now, he's a villain again. So I don't know what they're gonna do with him, but and it was cool to see him in that like classic scarlet spider outfit, which is like that sleeveless hoodie with like the tight, <laughs> you know, the the tight red Spider-Man costume. <laughs> well, what about the? This is one for whatever reason I didn't think this character was a part of the comic lore, but it's Pavriter. Uh, oh, Prabhakar, Spider-Man India. Pavriter Prabhakar. Right, right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so this was actually a four-issue miniseries called Spider-Man India. Yeah. Yeah, in 2004. So this is before, uh, you know, I guess the the inclusion movement, you know. Um, so this was, you know, an earlier uh, iteration of Spider-Man that I wasn't even aware of. So in order for them to uh, meet uh, Pavatar, they actually had to go to a different Spider-Verse, right? Right. Yeah. Mumbatan, which is a combination of Mumba, Mumbai, Mumbai, India, and Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it was interesting to see. I've never read that Spider-Man India story, so I don't know what that's like. Um, I know the um, he's appeared in, you know, like Marvel's gone to the Spider Verse well a few times, where they they'll have stories where. Um, you know, a lot of like alternate universe Spider-Man have to and women have to come together and, yeah. uh, you know, defeat a big in uh, a big foe. It was always it was usually this character named Morlin, which is I, I was so sure Morlin was going to be the villain in in this. And it was actually surprising who the actual villain is, but <laughs> which is also a really cool thing, too. But um yeah. They made him cool as they made uh, the Indian Spider-Man really cool as hell. In yeah, the, um, he was. Well, I'll, I'll tell like, you who was coolest: Hobie oh. Brown, Spider-Punk. Spider-Punk, yeah. Spider-Punk, um, who's from Earth One Three Eight. So you get to school me in with all these different Earths because I wasn't mm-hmm. as familiar with the comic book lore. But 
you had mentioned to me that Marvel, the universe as we know it, is under Earth 616. Is that correct? Yeah, 616. And that everything else is on a, is on a different Earth numerical, you know. Right, right, right. And um, I, I never remember the exact numbers, but <laughs> there is. Um, but there's like, you know, the I remember Spider Punk's Earth was one where um, it's. Like most of the Earth, I mean, it's like it's kind of like our Earth, except um, it's a lot more like uh, dystopian when it comes to like corporations are running everything. And that's why you need like a punk to, you know, the you know, they're he's like embodying this like punk rock ethos to like, yeah, to like uh, and there was a really there was a really well done spider punk comic that came out um, maybe last year or two years ago. Okay. And lots of cool punk rock Easter eggs in it. Yeah. You know, Toby Brown that. is an interesting choice to have as Spider-Punk instead of Peter Parker. Because, like, you know, in a lot of the other Earths, it's like an alternate version of Peter Parker. Ah, very interesting. But and we Hobie did Brown see... in Earth 616 is actually the original Prowler. Interesting. Because we, we do have an, an, a different Prowler. As yeah. revealed at the end of this particular movie, and mm-hmm. of course, Peter B. Parker um, is a part of this as well. And we get introduced to the baby, oh, Mayday May- Parker. May- May- yeah, May- Parker. Yes, named after Aunt May, mm-hmm. and it was an adorable baby, animated baby. Uh, and of course, we got to see MJ as well. So I thought that was really, really cool. Um, but. Uh, Wow, yeah, like you mentioned, Spider Buggy, the Spider Rex, which is really cool. Uh, <laughs> um, Spider Woman, we saw Spider Woman. Uh, Wasn't quite the Jessica Drew I was hoping for, but I mean, it's cool that she was there. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a different iteration, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Peter Park Car. Which <laughs> that is, was uh, the Spider Buggy, wasn't spider it? Spider Buggy, right? Yeah. So that that that's the same. Um, same character i guess was the part yeah you you would assume like (laughs) there's some alternate universe where there's uh you know anthropomorphic cars like the movie cars and like uh... (laughs) um of course uh the iron spider armor which we also actually saw in spider-man no way home oh really i missed that and yeah they showed the iron spider armor yeah during the battle i believe yeah i saw those uh I mean, so many iterations, man. They, I mean, had a, they showed the uh, the original Spider-Man from the '60s um, t- uh, '60s cartoon. They yes, the thing where he and where he, you know, they showed that kind of famous because um, that it, that cartoon used like images direct, like Steve Ditko art, Im- like directly from the comics. Yeah, if we all three point, pointed ourselves, we're gonna yeah. get that famous Spider-Man meme, right? There you go, right? <laughs> And then, so it's it's only it's only that Spider-Man if he has the colander eyes. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. But they also they also showed the amazing Bagman, which was uh, also a funny thing. Although there <laughs> there is a there's this like uh, it's a not exactly that like huge a story, but they people love this image of Spider-Man where he's wearing this like paper bag on his head. And in it, he's, like, wearing this, like, kind of cast-off um, Fantastic Four costume. But he has, like, a yeah. um, this bag on his head. 
And that was from uh, when, you know, when he first discovered that the black costume was actually a symbiote and um, the Fantastic Four help him get it off of him. And um, he uh, they he was just and like he was like completely naked underneath. So they gave him this costume with a bag on his head. And as he's trying to go back, he can't get home because of all of these things happen on his way back to his apartment and uh they they showed that although you know the four was missing but i guess you can't have a fantastic four logo yeah so someone also owns that right now right yeah Yeah. marvel now owns that so sony can't use it sony can't use it (laughs) but uh they can use lego uh we saw we saw lego spider-man of course you know that Chris Lord and uh, Chris Lord, sorry, Phil Lord and Chris Miller helmed the Lego movies, so it was uh, kind of cool to see that. And of course, Andrew Garfield Spider Man and Tobey Maguire Spider Man, um, integrating the live action, you know, um, personas into that, as well as um, Donald Glover's um, character as well. Yeah, he was. I don't know if uh, the Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, I'm pretty sure that was just stock footage. That was just footage from the earlier movies. Gotcha. Yeah. But, and uh, Amazing Fantasy number 15. Uh, that, Zod, is, if you didn't know, is amazing, is, um, is Spider-Man's first appearance. And was also the final yeah, issue. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit familiar with that, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, because you're the comic book god. You would know that. <laughs> and I actually knew that as well. So uh, so that was kind of cool how they, they threw that in. Um, yeah, I, I think you got a chuckle out of that one, too. The, yeah, was, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so this was kind of like your kind of movie, Zod. So many Easter eggs. Well, like, uh, I mean, there's, there's so much to love about this movie. Like... Yes. Um, Absolutely. The, the rather unconventional but like absolutely perfect choice of who to be the villain, the spot. <laughs> like the Let's talk villain. about the spot. Yes. Because oh I wasn't gosh. I was not familiar with the spot. Okay. So, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, please, because you you know the spot better than I do. Yeah, yeah. The spot is a uh, kind of a curious character that pops up every now and then. He's not used that much in the comics, but He's, uh, I mean, he has a, a power that could be considered, like, I mean, frankly, kind of terrifying, where he can make holes in himself and that, like, can go to other places. And then, because yeah. there's a, there's a, um, in his first appearance, I remember there was a memorable panel where Spider-Man's trying to fight him and he punches him in the face and it turns out he makes a hole in his face yeah. and, uh, and, and, the, wow. the other hole comes out the back of Spider-Man's head, so he like punches himself in the head, <laughs> and like. Um, but they've always like in the comics. I mean, because he's like such a bizarre, like a weird character, and especially mm-hmm. like in the um, in the '90s and early 2000s, they've always kind of portrayed the Spot as kind of a loser. He was like one of those weird loser characters. This weird, you know. You know, whenever they had a story about a down on his luck supervillain or a group of down on their luck supervillains, the spot was always there. He was always one of them. He and should lot- battle Polka Dot Man from DC. Exactly. <laughs> that, well, what's a- interesting is like the spot as a character all kind of started like every good Spider-Man villain. 
is that he was a good guy that got hired by Wilson Fisk (laughs) and then gets thrown into an accident and then he Uh becomes a bad guy. Like a lot of, a lot of great Spider-Man villains tend to be like just, just a little bit off of it until you get like Kingpin and Venom and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, down on this luck guy that just ends up getting powers and doesn't use them well. Right, right. He's died so many times in the comics. Yes, he has. He got killed by, I remember he got killed by the hand and then resurrected as like this like teleporting (laughs) demon ninja. I remember that story. That was an Wolverine story. (laughs) And um, and then he got, yeah, and uh, yeah, he's, uh, but he's actually like a really fun character when you think about it. And you think like, that's that's it. I mean, yeah, it's like there's a lot of like there's kind of a they the way they drew him because like in the comics, they usually show him and he's like he looks like this guy in this like white um, like uh, what do they call it? Body sock and yeah, type leotard suits. Yeah, leotard suits with like, you know, with like black spots all over him. And they actually like he appeared once in the um, Spider-Man cartoon in the 90s. And that's how they portrayed him. And in this one, in in the movie uh, in Across the Spider Verse, he looks like really kind of like gruesome and deformed. Like, and he's kind of like yeah, yeah. That was actually a part of his skin. Yeah, he was like naked. Yeah, yeah. And and they showed him like he's like, you know, he's not like fit. He has like he had like love handles, which was a little, which was a curious choice. And he had like. he had this kind of like weird gait, which was almost like he looked like a zombie. <laughs> but um, I thought but stylistic it, choices. Yeah. With the, and, with, it's, and, it and you really, you mentioned, Zod, that each particular character has their own animation style. Like Spider-Punk had his own animation style and mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2099 had his own animation style. So I thought that was another very cool aspect uh, for this film uh, compared to the last film, which I think every – Everything was kind of the similar style across the board, right? Yeah, yeah. So the last one you had, Noir was kind of like the other ones. And the only okay, two more. that were way off was Spider-Ham and, uh, oh crap, I can't remember her name. Penny? The, the Jap- yeah, Penny. Because yeah, she Penny. was straight up anime style. Yeah, right? But the rest right. of them were, like, Spider-Noir was animated the same as the others, just black and white. Right, right. Which was a which was an unfortunate choice, but I think they're going to change that because they they hint he's going to a Spider Noir is going to be there in the third one. Oh yes, and we'll, we'll, we're not going to get too spoiler on the ending uh, for for Mike here and uh, for for the fans who are listening because I know you want to know some things about it, but maybe you don't want to know the ending. But yes, we will be getting a third film. The film ends in such a way where basically it's a big cliffhanger. Right. And we, we definitely need to see what happens. And uh, it's definitely a jaw dropping moment, Zod, isn't it? I, mm-hmm. I guess it's just um, just the, a conflict of, let's just say, the conflict of the different earths, basically. Right. 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 So, uh, I hear it, like the best comparison of this movie is Empire Strikes Back. Like if you've never seen Empire, if you've never seen the Star Wars original trilogy, when you get done watching Empire, you're like, ah, oh, what's happening? And then leaves you hanging for Jedi. One of those hanging moments. My yes. daughter, my daughter actually got to see it before I did. And she 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 told me she was like, I was so mad that it, it ended on a cliffhanger. 
uh, he's like, I'm so mad. We wanted to see the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. And unusual for Marvel films, no post-credit scene. So if you're watching the film, if you're waiting for the credits, you can. If you want to watch the credits, great. Of course, see all the the people that were involved with the film. But if you want to forego the credits, because feel free if you're only there just to see the post-credit scene. So Zod and I, of course, I, we waited, right? Yeah, I, I mean, want a live had... action. I want a live action Nick Cage Spider Noir. That's all I want. <laughs> I wonder how long it's going to be before they introduce um, Miles Morales live action. I would think they yes. would do. I and, think by the Young Avengers film, I believe maybe that that'll be the case. But I think it has to come up. I think it has to be in a it has to be in a Spider-Man live action first. I think. I think right. More sense, right? Yeah, it, it would it would have to be a Sony thing. It wouldn't just be in a Disney Marvel movie unless. Disney eventually buys. They're gonna have to do that, yeah. Rebuys the uh, the intellectual property, which would be awesome if they did. But <laughs> yeah. So Shamik so. Moore at Fan Expo Philly, whether yes, it was hopeful thinking or, or wish kind of putting it out there, kind of hinted that uh, live action Miles Morales is in the future. Really? Yes. Did she tell you that personally? Uh, he kind con? of said it to any, like he was saying it to people at the table. Nice. And then when he did, did you do his, when he did his panel, he actually mentioned like, it, like he would like to see it. And in that way of like, we can't really tell you what's going on. He's also, but Shamik Moore is a little old. He's like 30 years old, isn't he? Yeah. But if he shaves, he's got a baby face. Okay. They could, they could work with that. Now, the thing about Haley Steinfeld is that she's already Kate Bishop. So I imagine they would have to cast a different actress because of. You know, it's still still someone in the universe, right? MCU. Um, you know, I think would be perfect. Um, young actress from House of the Dragon, uh, the young Renera. I think would be. I think I saw some fan art fan art of her as Spider Gwen. I think she'd be a great Spider Gwen. And someone else said that um, the young actress um, from Wednesday, um, Jenna Ortega's. Um, roommate dorm dorm mate would be uh yeah i, I the could, could kind of see that could also be a good spider gwen as as well so but uh yeah but there's so much else to talk about uh of course the number two three four and five the rest of the top five includes disney's little mermaid at second place with 40.6 million um guardians of galaxy um volume three uh in third place with an additional 10.2 million which um overall is 70 780.1 million um and then rounding up the top five is uh fast x um for another um 600 million fast x part one of three fast (laughs) x part one and i've heard fast x part one of two you've heard part one of three oh i've heard part one of three I've heard part one of two. Okay, interesting. I didn't, although it would make sense, you know, F12 is kind of like an even number, whereas F11 is kind of like an odd number, you know? F11 sounds cool, though. It sounds like a jet fighter or something. That's right. (laughs) And like... That's right. F11, yeah. I mean... Yeah, so it's, I don't know. Uh, I always may, I always have to say, I always have to premise everything with my saying I've never seen a minute of any Fast and the Furious movie. So it's. Uh, yeah. But. How about I, you, Michael? Do you, are you a fan of the oh, Fast Oh, I have seen every one and I've ridden the ride at Universal Studios Florida. There you go. <laughs> and I will say 
Uh, I don't watch these movies for an intellectual deep dive. I watch <laughs> just to see how stupid they can make the next one. Like yes. it started off with a great premise that should have just kept going, which is like, uh, was it uh, Point Break but cars? Right. So they That's were, what it was it, at it first. Was, it was the first one like a heist movie? Was that what what it was? It was Point Break with cars. Okay. Right, like, so it was a heist movie, but instead of surfers, everybody raced cars, and a cop went undercover to to sneak in and then became part of the crew. And Paul so, Walker is the cop character, right? Right. But it, and instead of at the end where Keanu Reeves, uh, you know, goes back to being a cop, uh, Paul Walker jo- decides to join the crew, and that's how we get two and three and four and five and and. That's but so every cool. time they. But at like, some point they became like it became like super spies and superheroes, right? Isn't that like and the car goes in space and like <laughs> that was it uh, for me when they went into space in F nine? I was like, what? So so which, which of the cars on? is it that Dodge Challenger that um, Vin Diesel drives that goes into space? Is that what? No, happened? no, they just like hodgepodged a car together that somebody was testing a rocket to, and it's just. It was. It's literally. You could have bought this out of the Wiley e. Coyote Acme book. <laughs> <laughs> but what got it for me, where where my faith in the franchise was kind of restored, was when uh, one of the characters in Fast Nine's like, "We can't die. We never die. Every we get through all of this weird crap, and we never die." And it, he just points out how ridiculous the premise of every movie is. <laughs> and then as soon as he's done saying that, like the most ridiculous thing that happens in the movie happens. And then he's like, "See." So I, it became yeah. to me something that was like very self-aware of itself. You yeah. have to they, they know that, what you're getting into. They call that particular filmmaking device like, or literary device actually lampshading, yeah. right? where you um, you know you call out your ridiculousness, hoping to I guess like undercut people, yeah. criticize you for it. Yeah. Well, they they waited till the ninth movie to do it, so I don't think they were. <laughs> <laughs> and I love yeah. how. T- Tyrese goes, yeah. Did you ever think they'd send two boys from the ghetto into space? <laughs> Something right. along those lines. Because I was just cracking up. So, uh, but uh, yeah. But you know what the big movie will be this weekend, guys? Is Transformers: Rise of the Beast. And if you heard the opening promo, we are we were lucky enough to interview Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, and that was a a, a big get for us on BTB. We're gonna play that next week. But uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, that I mean the 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 trailer looks cool. I mean, and it also um, the fact that it takes place right after the Bumblebee movie, so it's going to be New York City circa 1994. So that's kind of cool. So you're going to get like 90s era hip hop, um, and you know just 90s 90s style. Uh, oh, cool. Cars. So I should probably watch the Bumblebee movie. I've the Bumblebee did. was one of the better ones, and of course it's so amazing. The Bumblebee Stein. movie was like a soft reset of the series. Okay. Yes. Like so they they kind of were like, uh, we're we're going in this weird direction. Let's yeah. go back. And my only problem with all of that is that for anybody that doesn't know it's a soft reset, this all feels like it's all continuing in the same because it's the same animation style of the Transformers. Yes. And like Bumblebee is still Bumblebee with like without his voice. And I think they could have just leveled out and be like, nope, this is an alternate universe or something happened to change yeah. it. So is he is he a Volkswagen Beetle or is he a Camaro? Yes. Yes? Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I don't know what he's gonna be in this next one, but they've acknowledged both. 
Okay. So they acknowledge both. So that's why I said yes to both. So Anthony yeah. Ramos is, is the lead actor in this. Um, you might know him from uh, In the Heights. Um, so uh, And Pete uh, Davidson is voicing one of the uh, characters as well. Mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh um, is also voicing a character. And of course, yeah, Peter Cullen, which is pretty awesome. Um, and uh, yes, next week, uh, stay tuned for an amazing interview with Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime. Conducted it's by not, it's Fly. not. Does Hugo Weaving, is he still the voice of Megatron? No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if they're bringing Megatron back at all, which is an interesting... Yeah, he one. wasn't in the trailer, so I'm not sure about that. He either. wasn't in Bumblebee either. Really? Really? Who was the yeah. villain in Bumblebee then? I don't remember. That's how good that movie was. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I guess, was it still, like, a noticeable, like, I mean, like, when I think of the the Transformers, the Decepticons, I think of Megatron, obviously, and then there was the laser gun guy, um, Shockwave, right. and, and then the, the cassette player, but I think they introduced the cassette player already. Yeah, Soundwave. Soundwave, yeah. yeah. Well, this is the debut, live-action debut of the Maximals. So they were uh, in the animated television series from 96 to 99. And these are the animals that take um, take on animal shapes. And like Optimus Primal, <laughs> who's Ron Perlman. And Air Razor, who is Michelle Yeoh, is, uh, voicing that character. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm going to check it out. You know, I mean, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So, so that's coming up this weekend. And then next weekend, uh, the weekend after that, Guys, it's The Flash, right? And um, just some news on The Flash. So Ezra Miller has not done any press at all. And he will be at the um, premiere on um, June 12th. And they're only having one L.A. premiere. And it really does not have to do about Ezra Miller's um, indiscretions, as one might guess. The reason they want to do only one premiere is because of the post credit scenes, which I'm guessing has to do with the whole reset of the dcu the dcu eu to the dcu mm-hmm. and uh last week you mentioned that if this film does great because the reviews that we've been getting have been good they won't hesitate to to keep ezra miller miller in, in the next film which could cause some confusion you know because it's we are getting a new dcu um starting next year you know does it really cause confusion, though? I mean, if they, I, I, I um, let let me just preface this that I personally don't think Ezra Miller should be the Flash, but it's great. Uh, but I don't know. I haven't seen. I haven't, you know, seen. I mean, he seems like kind of. I mean, at least as a human being, he doesn't really does not seem like a good human being, and I don't want well, that. Uh, just a, 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 a correction there. Oh. He goes by they them pronouns. Okay, they uh, <laughs> they do not seem like a good person. I wouldn't right. a superhero uh, a superhero a beloved superhero character to be uh, to be like that. Mm-hmm. I have seen memes where they uh, I think they show Keanu Reeves as John Wick and they said a well no it wasn't John Wick who was it. Oh, I don't remember the character, the, but they say, like, this is a good human being playing a terrible character. And then... Uh, and this is the opposite, a terrible human and, being playing a great character. Yeah. Right. In this case, there are two Flashes, 
And if you think about it, the they them pronouns can refer to the two flashes in the flash too, because there's two two flashes uh, in the film. But um, but apparently um, Miller is focused on their mental health and um, and apparently um, Ezra wants the movie to open and the conversation to be about the movie and not about his his uh, actions. So there you go. So I. I've had a few friends that have already seen a preview of the flash. Yes. And their response was, this is a great ending to the Snyder verse. There's something that happens at the end. There's something in the post credit scenes. Oh, so they saw the post credits. I was told anything sneak peek um, previews uh, from a while, like a week or so ago did not include post credit scene. One of our, one of our colleagues said that, but, did this did this particular friend see the post credit? They, they said it had one post credit scene, and there may be I don't know, and I don't know if it's one that they like put in there and they're planning to take out. Um, but this is a closure to the Snyderverse, which also kind of implies that Ezra Miller might not be the Flash anymore. Like, I don't know how it ends, and they won't tell me because I don't want to know. Yeah, but, this is one I don't want to know either. But this seems to be the closure of like. This the the Snyderverse is done. We're moving forward with the uh, the Gunverse. The Gunverse. Now we have two more films left. We have Blue Beetle and we have Aquaman two. Question is, would the will these two movies be within the DCU or will it be in, uh, still under the DCEU? Uh, I think Blue Beetle is the new DCU and Aquaman two is the end of this like i again i don't know how they're doing it yeah but i understand that after spider-man do, like you think or aquaman do, too you think Go they're ahead. gonna do like a hard reboot i mean they could make it like a soft reboot where they keep some of the characters kind of similar to how um jk simmons played j jonah jameson in he's he's j jonah jameson in every spider-man yeah 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 so I mean, we'll have to could. wait and see what they what they're gonna do but Currently, the Flash sits at 72% Rotten Tomatoes, and I just checked today at 73%, uh, with 54 some uh, 54 reviews. I, you and, know, you know, it's funny you say that because he was he played the voice of Jay of uh, Jay Jonah Jameson in every single universe in across the Spider Verse too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. See, that's that's crazy. Um, let's see. Some other reviews are saying the best DCEU superhero movie yet. Uh, a jewel in the DCU canon. Wildly fun. Um, uh, this yeah. is the real deal. Um, I, I heard it's a good movie, but it doesn't touch into the spider or beyond the spider verse for best superhero movie. Okay. Okay. Um, interesting. Because uh, yeah, a lot of praise are, a lot of praise is uh, is being discussed with that, and, and and they're very similar films with the fact of the, the multiverse, you know, are, are aspects of both particular films. The Flash, you know, t- discussing, you know, showcasing time travel, which is an essential part of it. You know, you get b- Back to the Future vibes, right? You know, you change something in the past, and there could be uh, repercussions. Um, another review said the best DCEU superhero movie yet. Um, so there's there's a lot of good reviews. This is very promising. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if if Blue Beetle is going to be the start of the DCU, I feel like they should maybe make 
it will make sense to to premiere Aquaman two first and then start Blue Beetle off, but but we'll see. But I do have some news on Blue Beetle. There, um, they, I guess it's already in post. You know, just getting ready for its uh, premiere in August. But they just announced that. Singer Becky G is going to be voicing Scarab, the alien-created artificial intelligence. So I'm guessing she did a lot of the voiceovers of Scarab in post, um, which is why we're we're just reading about this now. Because mm-hmm. I know this movie's been in the can for a while, but they're just announcing that she will be the Scarab voice. And you, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer that like um, they're not going to introduce Ted Cord in any way, shape, or form in that movie. <laughs> it would have, now, right? I mean, now, they do you know that? Take the Baltimore background out of this movie. <laughs> do you know that they're not going to be introducing Ted Cord at all? Well, if they are, it's going to be a big surprise because, like, you know, there, there, there were rumors a long time ago that Jason Sudeikis is supposed to be Ted Cord. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but. You know, that never came to fruition. I mean, I guess it could be, like, a surprise in the post-credits scene. I don't know, like, if Ted Cord is, like, a big enough name that... I mean, like, a big, uh, well-known enough character outside of, like, geek circles, but... Yeah, both him and Booster Gold. Ted, Ted Cord didn't have superpowers. He was just a really good thief. Right. He was like a scientist and an acrobat, kind of like uh, he was kind of like they kind of betrayed him. He was kind of like if Batman had Spider-Man's personality. There you right. go. There right. you go. Whereas this my, uh, iteration my, will have super powers from the Scarab, right? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite part about Ted Cord is was he was from the mean streets of Baltimore. <laughs> I didn't know that. I actually didn't. Yeah. Know he, he was born in Baltimore. That's what they said. <laughs> yeah. So when I was reading the old comics that would that. Uh, you know, growing up in Baltimore, it's like he's from the mean streets of Baltimore. We, we and need they that never showed. They never showed the mean streets of Baltimore. It was just like. Yeah, just like Falcon and the Winter Soldier. They never right. showed. <laughs> that was not Baltimore. That was Atlanta. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So, yeah. So only two after The Flash, only two more movies um, in D.C. for this year. So um, hope they go out with a bang. And uh, James Gunn, I mean, I'm I'm really upset about Henry Cavill. I was hoping that he would stick around, but if they got a reboot, they got a reboot. But one character I know that will be returning is Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I'm, I'm, I'm like 99% sure that James Gunn is going to keep a lot of the surviving characters from Suicide Squad, his second Suicide Squad movie, and bring and them Peacemaker. over. Yeah, Peacemaker. The majority of the Peacemaker people are coming through. Yeah, Peacemaker. Um, Margot Robbie's um, Harley Quinn and I guess Idris Elba because those are the three of the characters that survived and the Ratcatcher she survived as well right so those and, are... and the Weasel oh the Weasel did survive right yeah yeah okay so yeah we'll probably see them return uh, speaking of Margot Robbie uh, the live action Barbie movie is coming out next month and they actually just released some actual Barbie dolls based on the the characters in the movie so it's kind of like uh if you always want to play with margot robbie you <laughs> you can buy <laughs> you can buy her barbie doll. so i guess uh, you would, a you joke would crazy, so. be like uh you know strolling into the toy store and <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, i'm wondering how many grown men are starting to buy barbie the margot robbie barbie dolls barbie now dolls. <laughs> 
Uh, wonder how many browser histories are going to get cleared after Amazon purchases. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready to to delete my internet right now. No, joking. There's an Issa. (laughs) Joking. There's an Issa Rae doll, as you know, she's President Barbie. And uh, there was a lot of criticisms about the um, the Ken doll and how there was not no penis. Well, that that's prop that's that's the one thing about Ken. He he did not have a fetus. That's true, but um, that that he doesn't really look like um Ryan. Oh, he doesn't Gosling. look like Ryan Gosling. It, it doesn't really resemble Ryan Gosling. I took a look at the image. Whereas the Barbie, the the Margot Robbie version of Barbie kind of looked like um Margot a little bit. I don't know. Um, interesting. But what about is there like a Simu Liu Ken? Uh, yes. Ken doll and uh, all future characters will have their own dolls. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think some of the images are out there. I just, I saw the Ken and the Barbie so far, uh, as far as the images. But um, I'm sure if you uh, search, you will find them. Um, So that movie's coming out. And then, of course, uh, for your horror fans, the latest A24 horror movie uh, called Talk to Me. They just dropped a crazy, insane trailer for that, Um, which is, uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me a a little bit of Ouija. Um, but, uh, this kind of like hand statue where you shake the hand and then you unleash a demonic force, uh, of sorts. And, um, the trailer was pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, as you know, a 24 crazy, um, horror films, uh, like Midsommar, the witch and X. So, uh, uh, make sure you check that out. And, um, this trailer, um, I really enjoyed watching this, um, and it's called Bottoms, and um, there hasn't been a really good raunchy come-of-age comedy in a long time. You know that those are very popular, like Superbad and, and American Pie, and and films like that. But um, looks like they're trying to bring that genre back in this particular film, um, a, particularly a very um, red band, uh, naughty version of of the trailer, very explicit trailer with the crass humor and stuff like that. But uh, it looked kind of fun. I don't know. Are you guys, are you guys familiar with this particular film? Bottoms? No, not yet. Yeah. So check out the trailer when you get a chance. It's oh. uh, You have um, Rachel Senat and um, you have... Um, so who Havana releases it? Because I have a feeling if I put Bottoms in my browser, it's probably not going <laughs> to pull up. But i'm probably going to get like don't, don't or put, something don't pulled put up. power in front of it or <laughs> <laughs> you know what i don't know who the production company is that's a good question <laughs> you could put bottoms movie but it's then from the, it'll, or you could put director <laughs> again MS. yeah bottoms movie is probably bottoms gonna open movie. up a whole different can of worms man yeah uh, director emma siegelman um, okay she directed the film shiva baby um, but, um, and then Ayo Edabiri from the bear also stars in it too. So it's basically two unpopular girls who start a fight club in order to lose her virginity before graduation. Oh so, shit. I have heard of this movie. I have yes. a trailer, but I do remember, I do remember reading about it. Yes. Look interesting. Yes. Yeah, so it's very, got American pie tied into it. I think Blockers was similar because it was kind of like the reverse of like American Pie. So, um, yeah, it looks like a fun one. So check out the trailer when you get a chance. All right. And those are things coming out. And then we have some films in production that were going to be released 
maybe by next year. Uh, one of them is Beetlejuice 2. Um, Michael Keaton gave some preliminary insights into the second film, which is going to be directed by Tim Burton, which is awesome. And he said, uh, so Michael Keaton said, Beetlejuice is the most fucking fun you can have working. Wow. It's so fun. It's great. And you know what it is? We're doing it exactly like we did in the first movie. There's a woman in the waiting room for the afterlife, literally with a fishing line. I want to know. I want people to know this because I love it. Tugging on the tail of a cat to make it move. Okay. Um, and uh, this is going to be released in September 2024. And of course, um, in addition to Mike Keaton, Winona Ryder will be returning. And it makes sense to have Jenna Ortega in there, right? Because of the success of Wednesday and Tim Burton. Um, that's Tim Burton's uh, uh, creation, Wednesday. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Beetlejuice 2. That's going to be exciting. But even more exciting is Captain America Brave New World. So you're probably like, what the fuck is Brave New World? Well, they retitled it. It's yeah. no longer be called New World Order, which I think of like Hulk Hogan and the NWO for life. <laughs> you know? New World Order. For whatever reason, they're retitling it Brave New World. I think you just um, gave the reason why they retitled it. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want any association. Well, it's interestingly enough, because I know you're a wrestling fan, Michael, that Seth Rollins will be in Captain America 4. I heard. Yeah. So that that's kind of a funny tie-in, uh, even though Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash won't be appearing in the film. At least, at least I don't think they are, but... Uh, they just um, dropped a really cool photo from set of Anthony Mackie and Harrison Ford. So I think it's so cool that the Harrison Ford is a part of this film. He is such a legend. Of course, you know, Indiana Jones is coming out. Um, but well, he's uh, taking over for Thunderbolt Ross. Right. That's right. Because the original. I want to see. Passed I want to see Red Hawk Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to see Harrison Ford Hulk out into Red Hulk. <laughs> that would crack me up so much. That, that would, would be crack awesome. Me up. That's also a character I never really liked from the comics, but I could, I could, I could get behind it in the MCU if it's done right. Yep, exactly. Um, and uh, so that's not what. Oh, they will be shooting in Washington D.C. Uh, and Atlanta. So, so um, maybe maybe we, yours, we can get some background. Yours truly, yours truly. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I can get on set. Obviously, I would prefer principal work, but <laughs> I'm happy happy to do some background work on a Marvel movie. I am. Yeah, I would love that. I would love to do that too. All right, Zod, I'll, I'll give you the info. If you okay. Want yeah, give it to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll come down for that. You'll come down. For <laughs> oh yeah, I'll take the trip from Jersey to. All to right, DC. cool. We'll talk to we'll talk about that off the air. And then uh, um, I want to throw out one more movie thing on Star Wars uh, before we take a classic cut break and come back for television stuff. Uh, so Mark Hamill had an interesting interview on uh, CBS News Sunday morning and basically said that um, the Star Wars franchise really no longer needs him and that his days of Luke Skywalker are basically over. But. The thing is, is that we saw Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian in a, a de-aged AI um, Actually, format, so. a, that brings up a question. Did Mark Hamill have anything to do with that, though? It's like he didn't even... He did. Him. I thought he... No, he voiced him. Oh, he did? Yeah. Did he so voice he was him? On, because I he thought they had to do something with his voice. 
to to make it more uh, more youthful to match the voice uh, you know in the older films yeah i mean they might have done something with his voice but like he was he has said he was been on that set oh okay okay Okay. Yeah. Okay, that I, I stand corrected. I thought I I had thought that they used a a like, voice alike. Yeah, a voice alike. Well, they they I think they also used like a body double. I know they used a body double for that. That for sure. And I think it was the same one they used for when he appears in the end of the Mandalorian. That's right. Yeah, uh, in the Book of Boba Fett, both. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, um, I think honestly, like, if Mark Hamill wants to have a career in Star, like. Because he hit that thing that Harrison Ford said, like Harrison Ford back in the original trilogy was like, kill me off. And then they brought him back, put him in carbonite and brought him back again. Um, And I think with this new iteration of what they're doing, he's absolutely right. I mean, unless they bring him back as a forced ghost or they go back in time and do young Luke. Where do we see Luke Skywalker? Yeah, I mean. Is it possible in the first feature film that uh, Star Wars Celebration announced, which will feature Daisy Ridley as Rey, could we see Lucas Force Ghost and Mark is simply just trolling the fans, you know, um, just which he's done. ribbing the fans. But um, but yeah, he says he's done. He said basically he read the script of the of uh, the Last Jedi and it's like, well, I guess I'm done, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. Uh, I don't know. I, I wonder. He said, so his quote was, oh, well, that's it for me. You know, obviously, which reveals that, you know, Luke will be dying. His character will be dying in The Last Jedi, which was a lot of cri- took a lot of criticisms from the fans. I'm sure a lot of people are. I know some people are very, very angry at Ryan Johns for that decision. But because, you know, Luke Skywalker could have been a part of the franchise for years and years to come, you know, but. For whatever reason, Ryan made the decision to kill him off in the second film. Um, I, I will say before that new trilogy started that they were very clear that you're going to be saying goodbye to Luke, Han, and Leia. Wait, nobody was expecting Carrie Fisher to die, but like yeah. Harrison only came back because he knew Han was dying. And Harrison only came back in that third movie because she had passed away. Carrie Fisher had passed away. Right. That's the only reason you got him back. But it was each one was supposed to be a goodbye to those characters to pass the torch. Okay. Right? And that's something they said before all of those movies came back was that it was supposed to be like a handoff to the new generation. OK, so so really, maybe they were supposed to do something similar. Had Carrie Fisher not passed away, they would have done, done that in the third film. So then, yeah, Carrie, the Carrie would... Fisher was supposed to be in the spot that Harrison Ford was in at the end. Yeah. When he when he saw his dad. But, there you go. Yep. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, the the first film will be 15 years after the Rise of Skywalker. So, and then Obi Wan Kenobi himself, Ewan McGregor, I actually uh, had a recent interview as well, and was talking about how Lucasfilm reached out to him about uh, reprising his role. This is before the the Obi Wan's uh, Kenobi series dropped, and because he said yes years ago before they were in planning production. That's why they moved forward with it, because he knew that he would be uh, a part of it. And I really do hope they do have a season two. I think there is a, a lot of story to tell, you know, in that. So um, uh, you to explain how on earth Obi-Wan Kenobi could have aged so much in like what, like 12 years? 
<laughs> you know, between because like Luke is what, like um, four or five years old in the Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan TV show. And he's like 17 in A New Hope. And Sir Alec Guinness. You're talking about comparing that to Sir Alec Guinness, right? Yeah, Sir Alec Guinness to uh, Ewan McGregor. <laughs> yeah. And Mike, you're on mute, by the way. That's great because I had dropping some awesome knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, I, so I think you're looking at like 11 or 12 years between that season of Obi-Wan and when we see him again. Yeah. Um, and I mean, look, and if you look at a president who ages in four years drastically, I think we could <laughs> get there. Oh, yeah. But like could, something big Obama. has to happen to really age him. Yeah. That yeah. And, and the Tatooine uh, sun, I mean, they're two suns. So it really of affects. course, he's probably not moisturizing and he's in there. But honestly, for me, uh, Obi-Wan validated Hayden Christensen so much, like because he got to be Darth Vader, because he got to like have a moment to be Anakin again. I would love to see like season two of those two going head to head again. Yes. Yes, please. Yeah, that would be cool. And, you know, and then that explains why, you know, Obi-Wan is now uh, the hermit, like crazy old Ben that lives in the woods or yeah. in the caves. We, we, we need to we need to know how he became that hermit. Right. We need, we need more. We need, you know, we need that connective uh, connectivity, connective tissue, so to speak. Uh, but I'm looking forward to Ahsoka. I believe that's the next Star Wars. Um, when does that come out? Live action. Does Ahsoka come out? This year, it's coming out. It's coming out this year. I, I'm not yeah. sure exactly when, but uh, I think it's the summer, uh, later this summer, and, and maybe August, I believe. Yeah. Um, since we already brought up Disney Plus, I'll throw out one more. Uh, Hocus Pocus three is in the works. Bye. Yeah, and a lot of people didn't like Hocus Pocus two. I haven't seen it, but I know Chuck McFly wasn't impressed with it. Um, but it got the ratings. It got uh, 2.7 billion minutes viewed. Uh, on the Disney Plus streamer, and was the number five most streamed movie in 2022. So because of that, the third film will follow um, the um, the 1993 original, and and the second film. And uh, I mean, you know, movies kind of come in threes. But I guess uh, Michael, you weren't a big fan of the the sequel film. So I it wasn't that I was a big fan of. I actually enjoyed the sequel film. You did uh, really. Yeah, I mean, there were a few parts of it where they they lean too much into the jokes of modern time. And this isn't a spoiler because it's in the trailer. Like, you know, one of the witches is riding Roombas instead of a broom. Yeah. Um, But the way that story ended was like a perfect. It didn't leave a cliffhanger. There wasn't I mean, there was a cliffhanger, but there wasn't a need for like that story closed the witch's story. So what purpose is there to bring them back other than like an idiot version again? Cause I, this, the second story did such a good job of explaining why connecting mm-hmm. it to the first movie, uh, you know, they were the fish out of water again in a modern time, which is great. But the closure to that story really ended a full circle for them. So yeah, like, the only so way what to bring else them back could they is, do? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you need to bring them back again? Interesting. Okay, that's an interesting point. So we'll uh, we'll have to think about that one and until that film gets dropped. And I think this is a good time to take a classic cut break uh, and uh, a pre-recorded interview. Um, well, uh, I got to attend a very guilty pleasure band of mine, 
uh, <laughs> last Friday, and it's Paramore. Uh, love the pop punk era of the uh, early 2000s, and yeah, they've been around since 2004. Um, like hits such as Misery Business, and uh, you know, from the early punk pop punk to kind of evolving into a more of a a pop act. Um, but I mean, that stadium was filled. Um, Capital One Arena, um, you know, was filled, and um, I thought of a fun song would be um, one of the one of the songs they did play during the tour that I saw, and it's from the movie Twilight, and it's it's, it's a fantastic song, and it's called The Code. So, uh, um, Zod, you might know this song, right? Um, I'll have to hear it. You'll I, hear it, and then I you'll let me know. Do. Yeah, you'll let me know if you hear it, and maybe you'll become a a Paramore fan because yeah, Haley Williams is such such a cutie. My goodness. She, she is uh she, and she's so super talented and super nice. I did a meet and greet with her in Raleigh um years ago and uh she had like blue hair, you know, and she was like, That's such a cool shirt because sometimes it's cool to wear other bands that kind of respected by the band that's playing. And she commented on my shirt, which I thought was interesting. It was a strokes shirt. Oh, nice. Um, and which I thought was kind of cool. She's like, oh, that's a really cool shirt. I love the strokes. I was like, oh, cool. You know, so. So anyways, yeah, here is um, The Code by Paramore. And following that, um, my pre-recorded interview with um, producer, actress, model. My gosh, director, writer. She does it all. Emily Rule, who has a film called Playland that she produced that's going to be premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival that BTB will be in the house for a few days of that. So that's pretty exciting. So check out that interview. And here's the classic cut. We'll be right back here on BTB with a few more television stuff and a couple more fun stuff before we're in the show. So we'll see you back right here. Leo. Special interview here on Below the Belt Show with Tribeca Festival coming up this week. And uh, I myself can't wait to be there this weekend. However, we have to uh, interview some of the creators involved with the great selected films of Tribeca. And we're welcoming, my gosh, she's an actress, model, producer, writer, director. Is there anything you don't do? I can't cook. Cool is here. Emily, good to have you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. First of all, I'm just so impressed by by the many hats that you wear. Thank you so much. Um, uh, What made you decide to just handle so many different duties in the entertainment industry? Oh, my goodness. Probably because like no one liked me in elementary school and thought I could do anything. It probably like stems from that. I think I have like a bone to pick and, and a point to prove. And I think that I... When I started doing this, when I at least started writing and directing my own stuff, I told myself that I wasn't going to tell myself I couldn't do anything. That if I couldn't do it at the time, I would learn how to do it. And I think that that's been the basis of everything. And I think they all kind of bleed into each other. But I just love being a part of the creative process, no matter what aspect it is. Great. And if you could tell us about your creative process for Playland, because 
I know that producers tend to wear different, um, have different roles, whether it's on the creative side, whether it's on the financial side. Um, what specifically did you do creatively with Playland? I know producer can mean so many different things. I know when I got into this, I was like, what, what does that mean? Uh, so Playland was brought to me by my head of development at Public School Pictures. His name is Zach Parker. And he introduced me to Jordan West, our wonderful writer and director, and Russell Schaefer, the producer on the project. And when we came in, there was already a rough assembly of the film. There wasn't any color done yet. There was no sound mixing. and. Uh, it wasn't a final edit, but I got to see inside of Jordan's mind and I got to see how they really portray what was on the paper onto the screen. And I was so blown away and so impressed and I fell in love with the visuals and found that it was such an important story that needs to be told. So our role kind of came with financing, giving notes, um, being involved, whether it would be their, their social media, um, even kind of what we were going to do as far as publicity, um, premieres, it's, it's been a little bit of everything and it's been such a joy to work with them. They've been absolutely incredible. That is incredible. Um, uh, of course it's selected for Tribeca, which is a, a great accomplishment. When you found out it was selected for Tribeca, what were your thoughts? I mean, I kind of screamed and called my mom. I was, I was thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's awesome when great people who make great work get recognized for that. And as many eyeballs as we can have on this picture, the better. And Tribeca is just so iconic. I spent a lot of time uh, as a teenager and to be able to actually attend the festival with a film in it is a pinch me moment. Yes, definitely one of the premier festivals in the country, uh, right up there with Sundance and Toronto and mm -hmm. all the big, big <laughs> film festivals, of course. So this is a great accomplishment. Now. As far as the production of Playland, were you on set um, a lot or not so much? More behind the scenes? More behind the scenes. Uh, yeah. It was amazing to see what they captured, whether it was bringing in a horror. So the art department built every single set. I mean, that was that was on the soundstage uh, in, in Boston. So the art department really got to take a lot of creative liberty. Unfortunately, there aren't many photographs of the Playland Cafe, at least the interior, because at the time it was something that was kind of kept hidden. So... Yeah. They really got to use their imagination and I thought it was incredible what they came up with from the costumes and the textures and the props and 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 the exteriors and the interiors and it was just it was so meticulously and impeccably done. Yeah, the set design was was incredible because this Playland Cafe is Boston's oldest, most uh, not notorious gay hangout space uh, from what the bio of the uh, of mm -hmm. the film states. Um, so uh, we're talking a legit club that many people frequented back back in the day. Yeah, it opened in 1937 uh, and at a time when being gay was not something that one could vocalize and it provided a safe space and a chosen family. And unfortunately, in 1998, it was turned into a parking lot. So mm -hmm. with this film, I'm so thrilled that the legend of the cafe gets to live forever. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It does live forever through the film for sure. And uh, four specific time periods, 1943, 1965, 1977 and 1992. That's really cool. And I, I saw I noticed that with a lot of the wardrobe choices, too, that you had to stick close to that particular time period. So uh you know, the wardrobe uh, department did a fantastic job as well. They really did. Yeah, I think that was one of the major signifiers of what era we were in, whether it was the lighting, uh, mm. 
the costuming, you know, we follow the character of Lady throughout multiple time periods and uh, everything about it was so thoughtful and each department just really crushed it. Absolutely. And the song at the end. Yeah. Wow, the singing. Yeah. No. It was the, fantastic. The music does this really great job of not interrupting the film, but really elevating it, which is an interesting balance, right? Because you want the music to be heard, but you don't want it to be too loud. Right. Sense. And uh, the score is amazing. And it really just accents the film and the texture so well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as an actress, did you want to throw in your kind of audition <laughs> to be in this part of this film as well? I would have loved to have been a part of it. Uh, I think that they did a great job with casting. I'm mm -hmm. a big Lady Bunny fan. Daniel Cooper is incredible. There's an actress named Kelly Mittendorf who was in the film, who mm -hmm. I, back in the day, actually knew as a model. We had the same agent. Yeah. The same agency, and I always kind of looked up to her and was like, I hope. I was like, does she even know my name? And so now to be, like, friends with her is really cool. Like, my 15-year-old self is kind of screaming. Um, so the cast crushed it, and, and yeah. uh, it was great to see their portrayal of these characters. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And of course, um, this film will be premiering on Friday, June 9th. Friday, June 9th, 5.15, the Angelica on the East Side. Yep, and uh, two more other screenings after that on June 10th and June 16th. Of course, TribecaFilm.com, uh, the official website to uh, get your tickets and check out this film i i believe you'll be in attendance right some of the creators yeah will yeah i will be there uh i a lot of the cast and the crew um some friends some family bringing everybody that's awesome and then a big party hopefully in new york right oh yeah a big after party <laughs> you gotta have that right yeah you gotta have that that's that's one of the best parts <laughs> yeah sure. you gotta that's pop some bottles every once in a while <laughs> celebrate i love it mm -hmm. wow I, I, Again, going back to how impressed I am with what you've accomplished, and you, you're fairly young. You're very young, actually. Um, and I'm just looking at your IMDb. Um, you actually co-wrote a song for Blue Moon? Yeah. Um, so Olivia Barris, who plays Maya in the film, is a really talented songwriter and has a beautiful voice. And... The long and the short of it is I just didn't want to pay any more for music licensing. And so I was like, you know, what? why don't we just, why we can do this ourselves? Like, why don't we just do that? And she had some lyrics and I had some ideas and we kind of meshed them together. And wow. I came up with a melody and she was able to play that and execute it. And it was this beautiful joint venture on our parts. And it turned out wonderful. I'm really proud of it. And it was another thing that I didn't know I could do. Maybe I'll do more of in the future. I think that anything in art kind of informs the other and it's awesome. And I, and I love it. I, yeah. I guess you can write, uh, add songwriter. Yes, we you. can write song. I mean, I guess so. It's funny. Like I've dated musicians, but I never got like a song out of it. And so okay. I always thought like, okay, well, if I would write a song about myself, yeah. like what would it say? And, and that's kind of where we started. It was fun. Any particular uh, musicians that we may know? Maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah, <laughs> not confirm or deny. <laughs> of course, of course, speaking yeah. of dating, you're in a film yeah. that was at Sundance with Nicholas Holt <laughs> called Newness, and you played one of the dates, I guess, of, of Nicholas's character. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was, was that fun. experience for you? 
Oh, it was a blast. Are you kidding? There was like a makeout scene and I kept being like, can we just get one more take? Like just, it's just like, I didn't feel right, you know? Um, and he's just a joy. And the last year on set was writing thank you notes to everybody. He's just a real class act. And uh, Drake Doremus is a wonderful director and definitely informed my own directing. I really love his style. You know, we'd say our lines and then he wouldn't yell cut. For a little while so you just kind of got to improv and i happened to give myself a few more lines in the film that way uh there but it was go. awesome it was some of the best days and really made me want to keep doing it over and over and over again <laughs> right and you gotta yeah. love how you can add some lines to, to yeah oh uh, yeah oh yeah you gotta you gotta make the most of that as an actor i do that myself all the time yeah. right yeah yeah, you can't help but do that, right? Very cool. And that, that was a part of Sundance Film Festival. So now you have like two now elite have film two. festivals under your belt. Yeah. It's now kind of now you need can. <laughs> I know. Now I need now we need to go to France. <laughs> Let's Very make this cool. international. Yes, of course. And you're a yeah. part of Life on Mars with Troy and Belisario. Actually, yeah. uh, I met Troy in an event um, and did an interview with her on a carpet. Uh, and she she's awesome. Uh, yeah, she's how was your experience on Life on Mars? It was really fun. It was really, really fun. She was like about to pop. I think she was like nine months pregnant. And yeah. uh, she is just such a boss. And it gave me such inspiration. And like, because I want to be a working mom and be in the industry too and, and be able to do both. And she does both. And she does it with so much grace. So that was really beautiful to watch. That is incredible. And of course, you're actually writing and starring in your own series called 13th Stepping? Yeah. Yes, let's stepping. talk about it. Okay. So 13th Stepping is set in the world of AA, a specific AA group in New York City. It's kind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, loosely based on my teenage years in New York. And it is what I kind of call a traumedy, so a trauma-based comedy. And I absolutely love it. We're in the midst of developing and packaging it right now. I would also act in that, God willing. And uh, I think it is the most personal thing I'll ever do, but one of the things I'll be the most proud of. Wow. And have you started pitching the networks yet or streaming platforms? Not quite yet. We're okay. trying to see what happens with the strike and, uh, yeah, and go from there. Yeah, the strike's been a pain in the butt. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great cause, but it's definitely uh, somewhat inconvenient at times. It's inconvenient as I timing is it, yes. Yeah, actors great uh, cause no one at the wga come after me but yeah because um you're you're a writer are you also part of the wga as well i'm not a part of the wga okay which is a blessing and a curse in both ways uh right. but uh i think what they're doing is amazing i think that we need to figure out some of these things we need to figure out residuals we need to figure out ai i think there there's so many things that hadn't existed and didn't exist 15 years ago the last time all this stuff came up so i'm glad that it's coming up now for sure yeah ai is something just a complete it's so wild it actually is wild. my head of department my head of um development in the development department i never really played around with chat gpt and he was showing me some things and it just kind of blew my mind it, it was blew my mind. <laughs> just yeah. anything you can think of in your imagination it just pops right up right totally it it is incredible. I mean, obviously there's some positives, but there are some potential negatives, you know, when it comes yeah, to- Yeah, I don't think, we, you know, we never want to lose the human touch or the human experience. And I think there's specific yeah. stories that only people can tell. And I think that when it comes to art, I don't think a computer will ever be able to do it the same. Agreed, agreed, especially with anything creative. Yeah. You know, you can have your supermarket uh, checkout 
you know, you can yeah, do my taxes all day. Taxes, right. Yeah. But, but when it comes to writing and acting yeah. and stage and yeah, those, those I things. I think, are... you know, people understand people and I don't think that will ever change. Yeah. Wow. Now you have a production company, yeah? Uh, public mm-hmm. School Pictures. Mm-hmm. And also an affiliated podcast. So let's talk yeah. about both of those. Yeah, yeah I got a podcast too. Yes. Uh, Public School Pictures podcast. Actually, Jordan, uh, the writer and director of Playland, and Kelly, one of the actresses in Playland, will be on our podcast uh, on Friday. Um, that was really just a way for me to ask the questions that I didn't have time to ask in, in production meetings and talk to mm-hmm. people that you normally wouldn't hear from. So above and the below talent above and below the line talent uh, on the projects that we work with. And I just wanted another way to send knowledge without uh, a paywall and uh, hear hear from from those creatives on the projects about what makes them tick and what what inspires them and why did they make it and, and ask them all of those questions. Wow, that's super cool. So with this company, do you feel like it's, become overwhelming to the point of, you know, acting might have to take a a backseat or do you feel like you could balance both? It's interesting. You know, I think that the day-to-day auditioning has definitely taken a backseat. I now act in my own stuff and in friends stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been good for my soul at this moment. I think I'd had a lot of rejection and, and needed to take a moment to step away and and that's what the company has really done for me. Yeah. I think, you know, we have a really incredible team. There's Zach Parker and Anna Patino and Cassie Vivant who make up public school pictures. And I could not do it without them by any means. It is definitely not just me. I'm only one quarter of this picture. And we do a really great job at time blocking and being able to do a little bit of everything every day, whether it's setting aside two hours for writing and then taking a production meeting and then doing this, that, and the other. But um I try to juggle it all as best as possible. Yeah. But I definitely know that you can't do everything every day. And and that's something I, I fight up against. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah. It's a, a lot of a lot of time management and uh Yes. Yeah, Extreme time management. Yes, sure. you can see my calendar. It's- yeah, I know. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Now, what would be your dream role or project? a particular actor, director, or um, genre that you would love to work on? Mm, well, I love Sofia Coppola, and I love Greta Gerwig. Um, oh, nice. Talking like, you know, female filmmakers. Um, I think truly anything with a bit of soul is really my answer, because I think that that kind of transcends director, that transcends genre, that transcends whether it's a show or a film or whether I'm acting or directing it. But anything with soul in a story that needs to be told, I am there and excited to be a part of. Wow, that's fantastic. And of course, speaking of excitement, people should get excited for this amazing um, film, Playland, which mm-hmm. is part of Tribeca. So after the premiere... What are your plans for Playland for other audiences to enjoy it? So there's several festivals that we'll be able to announce that we've been interested into. I think announcements will come after Tribeca and then will come our international and domestic distribution deal. Uh, So I am excited for that announcement because- Oh, it's already in place. Potentially. All right. I cannot, yeah, I, 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 I think everybody will be able to see it relatively soon. Amazing. Wow. Again, very, very stylistic, very unique. I don't think I've seen anything like this film before. 
So that's that's another thing that you can really, really, uh, you know, get some audience and some eyes on this film because I haven't seen anything like this before. It's 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 very unique uh, and uh, definitely worth a look. So, um, of course, for those in New York City, um, TribecaFilm.com for the schedule and its Playland. Search for Playland and you can check out the three screenings. Are you going to be at all three screenings or the first two or? I'm just going to the first one, but then we have other cast and crew representing at the next two. Oh, very cool. All -hmm. right. Yeah, I'm getting to New York Saturday, so. Oh, nice. I'm leaving Saturday. Oh, I know, so we'll just meet each other. Yeah, but you should come if you if you want to if you want to come. Just uh, just let me know and I'll make sure you have a ticket. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Very cool. Wow, Emily, this is fantastic. So uh, before we wrap up, if you could let us know who you are, throw out a plug. for Playland or any other projects you want to throw out, let us know you're on Below the Belt show and throw out a catchphrase or whatever you want at the end. Okay. This is Emily on the Below the Belt show. You can follow me at Emily Rule on Instagram. That's R-U-H-L. You can stay up to date with Playland and every Public School Pictures production at Public School Pictures on Instagram and publicschoolpictures.com. And yeah, keep making movies. Don't take no for an answer and learn by doing. I love it. And of course, yeah, checking out the uh, Instagram right now at public. You like the black and white? Yeah. Well, I'm checking out your personal. And oh, you okay. Have, you also have a public school pictures uh, yeah, go to IG public as well. And uh, oh, wow. You're at the uh, L Woman of Impact celebration. Uh, was that at DC at the White House Correspondence? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was that the White House Correspondence? The first lady was there. I got pat down by the Secret Service. <laughs> wow. Very cool. Very and very lovely, by the way. You're absolutely stunning. Thank you. So, uh, wow. Fantastic, Emily. Thank you so much for talking to us here on Below the Belt Show. Thanks for having me. That's the luck with the film. Thanks. All right. That was Paramore Decode. Did you recognize the song, Zod? um yeah i did yeah that's a cool song I it's do a like. great it's a great song and i guess it's a guilty pleasure because the the, the band does cater towards uh younger women you know uh <laughs> there's well, a lot of young girls in the crowd you know they kind of look at as Haley, like the pop emo like icon kind of thing you know i mean it, it catered to young women back in like 2009 and 2010 i mean right. like those and, those women are like in their 30s now yeah i know but it's also <laughs> it also caters to women young women today too and i saw a lot of young girls too that are rocking out the power more you know um but nonetheless, and of course, Emily Rule. Wow, what a great interview with Emily. She's absolutely lovely, very talented. Um, you know, check out her Instagram, Zod. You'll be a fan of hers too. Okay. <laughs> Emily right. Rule. Um, director, producer, writer, actress, and model. The girl does it all. I mean, that's that's crazy. I'm glad we got to talk to her about her film. All right. So Netflix stuff. Um, so Zack Snyder is done with the Snyderverse. He's focusing on a Netflix space epic called Rebel Moon. We talked about this on the show before, but interestingly enough, he's going to be releasing a director's cut of the film. And the film will be two films. Apparently, it was so long uh, that they decided to just uh, do uh, Rebel Moon Part 1 and Part 2. And apparently... 
the extreme version director's cut will be more of an adult version um which is interesting because they're i'm curious what could they what could they make more you know justice league you know you can do the director's cut but it's just just a lot more content you know but I'm right curious, well, I, you know what i am super know. curious now because we got a Snyder cut of Justice League because yes. Joss Whedon pretty much like reworked his entire movie. Right. If you're directing and making something for Netflix and you're the director all the way through, why do you need a director's cut? Like, and it's going to probably be on the same platform the original. Yeah. Are. Well, it's the same not, thing. Like, um, um, Oh my God! Why am I blanking on his name? Ridley well, Scott. Ridley Scott. When he made Blade Runner, I mean, he was a director all the way through, and the director's cut of Blade Runner is considered far superior to the um, to the original theatrical version. And I mean, it's a pretty. Con- I, I thought. I actually thought it, it's basically like um, you know, if you. Uh, if you leave a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor that is really good, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and I can understand that in the, in the days of like releasing it in the theater and the studio that's making it want something that's, you know, more audience friendly. But when this is going on Netflix and this is going to be, you know, how far after the original release that the director's release go up, like it kind of, that's where it feels like a bit of a, cause why wouldn't you just release the director's cut then? If well, you're going to spend the money for both. Here's his explanation. Basically, the first it. version of film is going to be a version that anyone can enjoy and watch. The more okay. extreme version of both films will be released later by Netflix. And that will be for fans of his and people that are ready to take a deep, harder dive. That'll be for them. <laughs> Whatever that be. That is a that is not an answer. yeah i don't know but i do like the premise of the film i mean you got some great actors involved you got ray fisher who was um you know cyborg cyborg yeah and then you have um uh pronouncing his name probably the jamon hansu jamon hansu um we have ed scrine jenna malone anthony hopkins anthony hopkins wow Charlie Hunnam from uh, Sons of Anarchy fame. So you got a heck of a, a heck of a fucking cast. And basically the story is um, a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy run, run by an authoritarian. Thank you. Government <laughs> desperate to get out from under the boot of tyranny. The citizens dispatch a woman named Cora. Okay. So this is the lead actress who I didn't mention. Sophia Batella from, I think she was in the Star Trek movies. She was also in uh, the, the ghost uh, character in uh, in uh, one of the Marvel movies, I believe. Um, yeah. yeah. And, the second uh, Ant-Man movie. Thank you. The second Ant-Man movie, yeah. And apparently they're rounding up a group of warriors to challenge the overlords. And it's very much a Dirty Dozen type of film. And Snyder came up with the story three decades ago and pitched it to Lucasfilm before the studio sailed to Disney as a standalone film. Of course, the movie never materialized and he's reworked the material into his own story for Netflix. So there you go. Um, interesting. 
So this is going to drop, um, I guess the first um, Rebel Moon will drop on December 22nd. And then um, the, the, the Snyder Cut of Rebel Moon, the first one, will drop probably shortly after that one. So. Zach uh, Snyder does strike me as being kind of a, an egomaniac, too, at the same time. Everyone, so. I've re- everything I've read about him saying how such a good guy he is, such a is nice he, guy, he's he, a family like, guy. Yeah, I've never met him. You know, I've, I've I mean, loved well, then again, I guess he was like, you know, the whole reason why he didn't do Justice League is because his daughter passed away. His daughter away. passed away, yeah, due to suicide. Yeah, he, had, yeah. he was uh, 70, almost 80% of the way through Justice League. Which is also the reason everybody's pissed off at Joss Whedon because all he had to do was just like pick it up and run. Um, but yeah, nope. But apparently Joss had other issues. That uh, Wait, Joss did you, studio did you, wanted to did you I, I'm assuming you you uh, you much preferred the the director's cut, right? I think both have their merits. Interesting. Um, but if you're looking at like because you have Snyder who did the Superman movies that tie into the like the Snyderverse version definitely continues his line of story. The, the Joss Whedon version to me feels like a more comic booky version of the Snyderverse, like a lot of quips and a lot of like hmm. smarty responses. Strangely enough to me, the Superman at the end of the Joss Whedon version feels more like a screen accurate Superman than the Snyder version does. Snyder's a little darker, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that that's it. Like Yeah. That's interesting. Having watched yeah. both having watched both, I don't you could definitely see that like Joss Whedon came in and put the Joss Whedon effect on it. Right. 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 Certainly so. And uh Yeah. So uh those definitely worth looking over again. Um I enjoy the Justice League, but here's another uh franchise that's getting looked at again, and it's Bird Box. And this is called Bird, Bo- Bird Box Barcelona in Spain. So the it's trailer a, for that's up. I haven't seen yep, it yet, though. I just saw the trailer. Um, now, of course, this is expanding on the 2018 film, which starts Sandra Bullock as a mother who must shield her children from the evil force while fighting uh, for her own survival. And, um, of course, the same effects. You, you know, you're blindfolded. You, you see the, the if you see the villain or the enemy then you know you die uh basically so um but um this is in the streets of barcelona so uh yeah interesting i I was i was i I was wondering about that uh that film franchise wondering if there would be a second film um but this one they're going international for that one so now this film on Netflix looks really funny. It's called The Outlaws. I think we talked about the film, but that was before the the, the trailer drop. But it's Adam Devine, um, and uh, it's like a rom com action, like an action comedy rom com, um, where basically he's um, meeting his wife's uh, parents, played by Pierce Brosnan and Alan Barkin, and his wife's played by Nina Dobrev, of Vampire Diaries. And um, it's from the director of The Wrong Missy, which I love The Wrong Missy. That was one of the um, films that came out in the pandemic that was really, really funny. Um, but uh, the trailer is hysterical. And uh, basically, the parents of uh, of Nina Dobra's character ter- turn out to be uh, bank robbers. Um, <laughs> so, um, so it's a very interesting dynamic there. So... Uh, 
you got guys get a chance you should check out the uh even um have a little uh nod to uh james bond because they compared Brosnan, um pierce Brosnan to jay uh to uh divine uh and of course um you know Pierce Brosnan was in uh, four films in the James Bond uh, franchise, right? So yeah, he was the. It's so I saw the trailer. He's the fifth Bond, and she's there like, "You remind me of the James Bond." And he's like, "Which one?" And she goes, "The fifth one." And then Pierce Brosnan kind of smiles and nods his head. So my own, I saw <laughs> right. the trailer today. My only concern with that trailer is it's one of those that I feel like it just showed me the whole movie in three minutes. Oh I, wow! I hope I'm wrong. Okay. Yeah, there was a lot packed into that one, but it was really funny, right. though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. It makes I want to see it, but it definitely feels like one of those like you gave me the whole story in three minutes. Interesting. I didn't even think about that. Interesting. Um, as you know, it is Pride Month for and on Netflix. You're getting a uh, a series called Glamorous uh, with uh, Sex and the City's Kim Cattrall, and basically they're calling this Devil Wears Prada if Meryl Streep was replaced by. Um, Sex in the City's Kim Cattrall. Um, and um, this is a 10-episode LGBTQ a comedy series that drops on June 22nd. And uh, over on HBO, which is now called Max, um, my buddy Kyle Murphy told me I have to watch The Idol. So uh, I'm tr- going to try to watch it this week as a fan of Euphoria because this particular series um, – had a very polarizing review at Cannes Film Festival. Some loved it. Some thought it was over the top. You know, some thought the the sex and the nudity was 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 uh, you know unnecessary. Um, uh, some called it outrageous because of the sexual content. Um, but um, and and you know, there's other critics that say the sex scenes falling into male fantasies. While leaving Depp's character disempowered, and of course that's uh, Lily Rose Depp, Johnny Depp's daughter, in uh, the lead role, and of course also The Weeknd, pop star of The Weeknd, uh, his real name is Abel Tesfaye. So uh, um, apparently um, the the numbers, uh, well, it drew uh, 232k, uh, which is not bad um, on HBO and then uh, across all platforms, HBO and Max, uh, 913 K viewers. So that's pretty good. And this particular series will be within the Euphoria universe. So you will see, you could see characters from Euphoria pop in to uh, this show, which, you know, it's interesting. They don't really, in the non-genre world, you don't really think of too many crossovers, you know? Um, you know, it's more reserved for the genre world of, of the, the superhero elk, you know, and that, that sort. But this is two very realistic dramas, you know, um, coming of age dramas of sorts uh, that are in the, in the same universe. In fact, you can see um, Alexa Demi, who plays Maddie Perez, in the club scene. I'm not sure. So, um, which is interesting. So, um, either of you a Euphoria fan have seen Euphoria or even seen The Idol? I am. I not. haven't seen either. You haven't seen either? Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed Euphoria. I mean, Zendaya really deserved that Best Actress nod. A very powerful, powerful role. And um, you gotta love Sydney Sweeney, as you know, she's in the new um, Madam Web. 
<laughs> movie, the new upcoming uh, Spider-Verse movie. And uh, incidentally, she said that during an interview that her dad and her grandfather decided to watch Euphoria together. And basically, they saw her nudity and they turned off the TV and walked off. <laughs> <laughs> so they 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 walked out of the room, basically. Um, although uh, Sydney Sweeney's grandmother actually is a big supporter and actually she brings her on set to actually be like background in a lot of her a lot of her projects which i think is really sweet um but uh you know she's you know she's done a lot of that those type of roles earlier in her career career but now she's looks like she's taking a lot on a lot more serious roles now and uh sydney sweeney is a fantastic actress i mean obviously she's amazing looking but beyond all that surface level stuff she is a great actress and if you guys watch c4 you'll definitely see that for sure um and of course uh she's in white lotus as well and i know Vizad, you're a fan of white lotus aren't you, Do you i seen... haven't i i it, it's a show that i would very okay. much make but i haven't seen it yet okay interestingly enough um over on amazon not much but sigourney weaver has a new series called the lost flowers of alice hart based on a seven-part uh, book series of the same name um so uh it's basically a family drama where basically Sigourney plays a, a grandmother um, after um, the granddaughter loses her parents in a, a tragic, a tragedy, a mysterious fire. Um, that also stars uh, Alicia Debman Carey, you might remember from uh, Fear the Walking Dead. Hmm. Um, and then um, Spider-Man himself, Tom Holland, in a TV show on Apple. Interesting. Um, it's called The Crowded Room, and uh, this one also stars um, Sasha Lane and Thomas Sadowski and a- a- Amanda Seyfried. So, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a period piece in 1979 New York. Is it a but, series or a, a movie? You know it's what? It's a series. I believe it is a series, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's an it, Apple series. It's an Apple series, which is crazy because uh, Apple, Apple gets a lot of really, really big stars for their shows. Right? Oh yeah. And uh, absolutely, man. And Tom Holland is definitely one of them, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Do you think Tom Holland? Uh, I mean, he's obviously. I mean, he's been in like the highest, some of the highest grossing movies ever. But right. Uh, like, do you think he has, like, the same kind of star power as, like, um, you know, late 90s George Clooney or, like, uh, Brad Pitt in the early 2000s or late 90s did, where he could absolutely just carry a movie just as himself? I don't know. I mean, that's a great question. I think the difference being is if you look at those guys as they transitioned like they visually got and this is going to sound terrible they visibly got older where tom holland still looks pretty close as he did when he was like in the first spider-man, the first right? Spider-Man movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah so he's still like a baby face right so there are some stuff that i've tom seen Holland's him in what, like he's like 24 is that how old he is yeah he's like mid-20s okay right right um, when, when he started he was like 18 or 19 in the first film, right believe, right so I'm interested to see like what happens. I think he can, but I think everybody still just looks at him as like baby Peter Parker. That's true. Yeah. And I don't think he's done that role. That's like changed that mindset yet. This is a very different role. Apparently 
I can't really like are there any actors like that though ones who like can carry a movie just by themselves like regardless of what it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be some big franchise blockbuster it doesn't have to be associated with uh, some sort of like popular yeah, like Chris know, Hemsworth he, he got eyes on extraction you know because of you know his his, his notoriety and and uh and Chris Evans and and the um the other Netflix film that that uh, with Anna de Armas that, the title is escaping me, um things like yeah. that um I thought that, not that, that Chris Evans movie was kind of a bomb though. I think uh, honestly I saw it it was good. Uh, it's just poorly marketed. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know it was because they were trying to get like. It's very much a Chris Evans movie pre-Captain America. You know, when he was kind of making, like, the bumbling, slapsticky, kind of smart-assy kind of guy. Yeah. Um, but they showed so many action scenes, I think everybody's like, well, it's Captain America. Okay. When in reality, this is like, he's not. Like, he is, it, it's supposed to be Chris Evans pre-Losers when he was like romantic heartthrob chris evans not yeah, action star yeah. chris evans playing like uh, uh, uh what not was it? another teen movie well i was thinking there's, a, there's actually <laughs> a really he's in a really good movie where he plays a lawyer this is pre-captain america i can't remember the name of this movie yeah i mean so the the premise of the movie is that he meets this girl and like falls head over heels for her and she kind of ghosts him and like, look, I'm going to spoil the movie because it's it's in the trailers. Um, and he decides to like he finds her and he goes after her. But turns yeah. out that she's she's the spy and action hero. So, yeah. you know, if you can take your mind away from him being Captain America, it's a classic 90s rom-com kind of thing. Yeah. But all the, the thing- trailers just show him in action mode, which is a very small part of the movie. Yeah, and that's the thing about this particular series, The Crowded Room. Tom Holland, I guess, is playing like an antagonist type because him and his companion open fire near Rockefeller Center in New York, and then he's captured. Um, and then, of course, Ariana, uh, the character Ariana, played by Sasha Lane, disappeared without a trace. And apparently um, they try to try to find, uh, I guess, it's the, 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 the manhunt, I guess, for the Tom Holland character, basically. Um, so interesting. Um, a, a gritty crime drama. Um, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see what the, what that's like. Uh, and then um, talk a little bit about the uh, the, the writer strike. So 98% of SAG-AFTRA voted to authorize a strike in a re- referendum that lasted over a little too, over two weeks. And this yes vote does not trigger a strike, but allows the union's um, top negotiators to call work stoppage once the contracts expire on June 30th. So after June 30th, if a negotiation is not reached, there could be a halt in film production until, you know, um, a favorable decision is made for, for, so it's sag after going on strike, uh, that, that pretty much, um, cause I know like without the writer, uh, without writers, they were like, Oh, we can make lots of like, um, reality, reality television shows. Ugh, but, right. But with SAG after, I guess that means like, cause after, 
isn't after the after a part of sag after like that includes like reality people right no after is actually the um that's like for a television elevation. radio artist that, that was a that was another union for television and radio and sag was screen actors guild and the television the radio merged right. into sag after and I'm a member of SAG after, so I should know about that. And the crappy thing is that the Directors Guild actually just came to an agreement. So they, instead of doing solidarity, which is what the you know WGA was hoping for, right? Uh, the Directors Guild is like, we're going to take all of your striking and then make a deal for ourselves. Yeah. So the Directors Guild is now out of this fight. So it's left up to the writers and the actors and any other union that... Did, well, but, there's also, yeah. I mean, when... I. I mean, a lot of crew members. Uh, yeah, that's they... under the uh, Yahtzee um, union, yeah. yeah. No, reality television, though, is, uh, I don't think they have any union. No, uh, <laughs> uh, after us, uh, the Association for Television and Radio Artists is what that's Okay. Right. Fair yeah. So that's a the thing. There's going to be an influx of reality television if, uh, <laughs> if they don't come to some kind of... Uh, compromise for for the contracts and of course the, the number one things are um streaming um you know yep. uh, re- the the windling residuals due to streaming you know because can't really for whatever reason they can't really accurately calculate that they can um, they just choose not to they choose not to right um inflation and of course uh generative ai you know, so a lot of a lot of shows have been affected, um, which is I think a lot of shows want to shoot and wrap before June 30th if they don't have any rewrites involved. Um, the latest show that I was actually affected is Emily in Paris. That that was actually going to start uh, shooting this uh, in the late summer, and because of that uh, writer strike, um, they um, will not be. Uh, shooting in the summer and probably be shooting in late fall if it's resolved and uh another thing that was affected is the community movie which i wasn't yep. even aware was happening that's a bummer i was yeah that so apparently because of the writer's strike um they they already finalized the the script of sorts but uh they were in talks with like the ideal director for the movie and uh even if they they finished it they still don't want to shoot out of solidarity you know, sometimes right. it's like that, you know, whether they do have something, you know, but um, yeah, and it's affected Cobra Kai. It's affected uh, season uh, six. Couple Blade, a couple Marvel movies like the Blade uh, coming the up. Blade movie. Like that. What, I, what I'd be interested to see is with the SAG after a, if that actually goes to strike, how that impacts things like the new Ghostbusters movie, which is currently filming in New York. The stuff that's already filming like either in you know mid or pre-production or even post-production like how all of that impacts uh, yeah I, I think the anything that's in is in currently in production and in post-production already has their scripts so they will get produced and done no i'm talking about the sag part of it like if sag strikes oh the actors have sag to go. Strikes. so if sag right. strikes wow yeah I guess it really I guess depends on what part of the production timeline they're in. Because, um, I mean, like, with the the Writers Guild, yes, movies like Ghostbusters and stuff like that can continue to film, provided they don't many, make many alterations to their script. But right. if you're in the middle of production and everything comes to a halt due to SAG striking, like that's 
even more money getting thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because, yeah, with the SAG-AFTRA, they could potentially call a work stoppage. Mm-hmm. And that will definitely affect a lot of, yeah. Um, yeah, it could get kind of messy. And I remember the last long writer strike when I, I, I remember that Heroes was affected, that the TV show Heroes, and yep. there was an influx of reality television. And this is before all the big streaming uh, services. So this is like, uh, I think 2008, I believe. I think that's when it was. Um, uh, so. And now, because of the, we're in the golden age of television with all the streaming, yeah, I'm really curious to see what happens there. But uh, we hope we hope they get it together. You know, we hope we can yeah. get let's get a compromise. Let's get let's get get people working. Let's keep production rolling and keep everybody uh, employed. And for the viewers, keep them entertained. You know, because reality television can only can only entertain us so much. <laughs> right. um, are you a fan of any reality television? I personally yeah. like MasterChef. That's one of my one of my only uh, reality shows that I'm really into. Um, some of the cooking shows, but other than that, eh, I've kind of like given up on reality television for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I think the only reality show I've watched recently is probably like the Netflix Queer Eye. Oh, you okay? Well, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember I really liked it. The original uh, show was good for some fashion advice, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, the, good. the new version's even better. Like, what I like about the new version is that it's, you know, the original show was, like, four straight guys, like, Queer Eye ver- with a straight guy. Right. This is, like, they're helping LGBTQ, they're helping straight, you know. Okay. Uh, they're helping people with uh, disability. They're helping people yeah. who had hard times. So mm-hmm. a lot of the show is more a holistic helping the individual through like some form of trauma or something. Yeah. Um, so it's it's less like, you know, five gay guys helping one straight guy find his inner fashion style. It's right. more along the lines of just like really good feel good stories. And each season takes place in a different city. Like last season was in Philadelphia which is interesting to see because I could like see places I know. And then this was New Orleans. Um, so, I mean, that to me was when I watched my fiance's into a lot of those things like love is blind. Oh, okay. And Oh, your fiance likes love is blind. Yeah. Like, I watched a couple <laughs> episodes of that and I was like, I got to leave the room. I love you. but I have to leave. <laughs> what about comic book men? That was considered a reality show. I, comic I, book I, I, I watched, yeah, watched a couple yeah. I watched a couple of the first season. Um, I, I got to be honest, like I didn't watch the rest. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, but, I only I only watched it sporadically. It wasn't like, but you know, I, I found some value in some of the episodes. As you know, of course, being a Kevin Smith fan, so I I love Kevin Smith, and I do not begrudge anybody who likes reality television like to each their own. And I know that right. we all have different tastes. Uh, that was just one of those ones that I think when it first came out, my schedule didn't line up with everything. And it was way in the right. early days of DVR. So, yeah, you know, I'll yes, probably go yeah. back and rewatch them at some point. But I, I just I don't think I watched enough of season one to be able to catch it to it. Yeah, totally. And um, I guess the last uh, topic before we wrap up the show is uh, some celebrity gossip stuff and. uh uh, we, um, I think they just announced this right after we wrapped last week's show, but, uh, yeah, Danny Masherson found guilty of raping yeah. two women at his Los Angeles home in the early two thousands. And, uh, 
And in the third case of the third woman, they couldn't reach a verdict. They were split on that. Um, And he could face uh, 30 years to life in prison. But they're saying because he doesn't have any criminal record, that could be reduced to half or less. Um, And, uh, yeah, this is definitely one of the most high-profile criminal cases in the Me Too movement. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean... the Church of Scientology was involved, and uh, it's really disappointing because I met Danny Masterson years ago, and I always thought that he was a really stand-up guy. And at the time, you know, because um, I remember uh, in D.C. there was like a nightclub appearance, and I helped uh, promote that party. And then fast forward a year later, I went to his restaurant, Geisha House in Los Angeles, and he re- remembered me and shook my hand, and you know, it was always really kind. And then now to to, you know, to hear this is just, just, just horrible. I mean, it's just deplorable yeah. that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that uh, Danny, you know, is accused of this. And of course, you know, he was excluded from the, that 70s show sequel, that, that uh, 90s show, as you know, um, he was not a part of that show as well. So uh, his sentencing will be in August. So, um yeah, I mean, yeah, he did some cr- pretty fucked up shit. Um, apparently gave the yeah. women a drink that made them feel disoriented before he allegedly raped them, which, again, was proven in court that he did. And then, you know, I remember him, like, really smiling, really smug after the first trial because it, it wasn't a hung jury, but he wasn't off the hook yet. I guess he maybe didn't know he had a, uh, another trial because of the mistrial, and then they had the other trial, and then that's where he was found guilty. So I, I'm um, just glad that these ladies get some form of closure. I know nothing will ever change that experience for them, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And if it wasn't enough with Danny now, um, the new one is the, the rock band Ramstein, the German rock band. Apparently they had allegations from a fan in Northern Ireland that, that she had been drugged at a concert in Lithuania and taking backstage and one of the band members, Till Lindemann, um, apparently, yeah, apparently. Assaulted her. Yeah, assaulted her. Uh, she refused and he left. But apparently she found out that she was disoriented and been drugged. And that's, apparently- that's really terrifying, too. I mean, yeah, obviously, uh, I don't know. Um, Are you familiar with the band Ramstein? Yeah. yeah. I hadn't heard this before. This is new to me. Yeah. yeah, this is just uh, this is breaking news. Yeah, um, the, thing, the thing that I always wondered, though, like because um, it's uh, it's used a, in, in a lot of these like sexual assault cases. It's about the uh, the victim is drugged. And I don't know, maybe it's just a personal thing, but I don't want to have sex with someone who's not moving. <laughs> you know, I don't want to have sex. Yeah. Yeah, laying down there, I wouldn't want, like, that wouldn't be fun to me. Like, you know, why would, you know, why do you, why would, uh, why would someone even want to do that? And, like, uh. Yeah, seriously, Danny, in Danny Masterson's case, too, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and, like. Yeah, and and I thought it would end there, but apparently Cuba Gooding Jr. is still still in some trouble. Uh, but he settled a lawsuit for 
a rape accusation, which was uh, I even thought about Cuba Gooden Jr. Yeah. So as oh. you know, he hasn't been in. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I haven't heard that name in in. He years. hasn't been around, if you know. I guess like the last time I saw him in anything was that O.J. Simpson show. Yep. Which was actually People versus O.J. Simpson, which was yeah. fantastic. That was yeah. Ryan Murphy. <laughs> Um, yeah. produced um, and it won a lot of awards but yeah that was around like shortly after that series aired is when it all happened um, an unidentified woman accused him of rape in 2020 but apparently settled for a lawsuit so uh, you know for the i mean but basically if the settlement is in favor of the victim and i don't know but uh settlement doesn't mean not guilty doesn't mean not guilty, but does it mean that the, the the victim basically is accepting money over? Generally, generally, what settlement means is guilty but not convicted. <laughs> That's what right, right, means. right. It, it means guilty, and there is a threshold at which this doesn't go to court. Right, right, and uh, you know, like when when because a lot of times it's easier for victims to settle out of court rather than having to prove wrongdoing. Um, or have to pay for it because those could be lengthy and expensive cases yeah, just to prove right. what happened. Yeah, yeah, but but usually, like if um, if someone is willing to settle out of court, then chances are it's because they actually did it. <laughs> and yeah. um, so, and the last part of this uh, segment is that Brian Singer is trying to make a comeback. Oh um, yeah. That's a, yeah, we're just uh, we're just uh, punctu- uh, punctuating all of the the all all the all. <laughs> and Ke- I, I saw that Kevin Spacey also has a new movie coming out. So, yeah, let's just go all the way around the horn. Right. So yeah. Spacey's out there. obviously people want to try to make a comeback, you know, whether whether the allegations are true or not. But in case of Brian Singer, who's working without an agent, he's trying to do three narrative features set in Israel. Uh, and now he's also trying to do a self-financed documentary about himself and his struggles. Um, oh boy, that, that is I, don't, not nope. something that I think I'll be watching. <laughs> that is a yeah. big no-go for me, sir. Yeah, yeah. Al, tell me you have like happy news to end this out. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> this is usually what we say for the last, and the last I have is that. The happy news is that Danny Bonaducci, I think, will be okay. He uh, had a brain surgery recently, and he's on his uh, the road to recovery. And um, apparently, he was under the knife for two hours, and um, due to um, due to um, hydrocephalus, a neuro- neurological disorder caused by liquid buildup in the brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently after a two-hour surgery this past Monday, everything went really well, and hopefully he'll be okay. So that that's positive. <clears throat> but, you know, it's funny because Zod knows this, and Mike, you probably don't, that we always throw out the sad news, rest in peace shout-outs at the end to those that are no longer with us. And um, luckily, I would much rather have those than, like, give Predators – Five minutes of our time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so these are those that are no longer with us this week. Of course, last week we announced uh, um, a big one in uh, Tina Turner. Um, this week we lost uh, Anna Shea, the star and heiress of Netflix Bling Empire. Uh, at the age of 62, she was a re- that was a reality show. So she had passed away, sadly, following a stroke. Um, also, George Riddle, who portrayed... Um, 
a gold prospector turned presidential candidate in the 2011 comedy The Onion News Network. He was also a stage actor, um, and he sadly died died at the age of 86. And um, we also lost Peter Meyer, who is a Hollywood agent who represented Tom Hanks, James Caan, William Shatner. Um, and uh, he actually started his own management firm as well. Uh, he died after a five-year battle with sarcoma. So um, sadly, um, we lost Peter Meyer as well. Um, and then, of course, with death, we celebrate those with another year around the sun. Celebrating her birthday today. The icon, the horror icon himself, Freddy Krueger, Robert England of Nightmare on Elm Street fame, is 76 today. Happy birthday, <laughs> Robert England. Um, playwright and actor Harvey Firestein is 71. Uh, Sandra Bernhardt is 68. Wow, she's older. Like, I guess I just. I can't think of her as a 68-year-old. Yeah, she, she's yeah, I up. Know. Neither can I. She's up there. Colin Quinn, remember him? He's 64. Okay, he, I can't think of him as a 67. Yeah, and what about this one? This blows my mind because I, I just met him or just saw him at the Creative Coalition event. Um, Lucius Malfoy from Harry Potter, Jason Isaac, is 60 years old. Jeez. Ah, I know, uh, right? And just because I met him at Fan Expo, Michael J. Fox turned 62 on the 9th. That's a thing. Wow, right? Yeah. Oh, this this coming uh, um, the 9th of, of this month, of June, he'll be yeah. 62. Wow, you know what? And, and as a side note, didn't he have some problem getting into his uh, seat at the panel for the Back to the Future? Apparently, uh, people... Yeah, I was to... there for that. He, yeah, uh, did you see that? Yeah, I saw it firsthand. He tripped over his sh- like he tripped over his feet and luckily landed on the couch and then bounced back up. Uh, I, I mean, if he'd have fallen three inches to the left, he'd landed right hard on the stage. But fortunately, I think he kind of leaned himself into landing on the couch. Yeah, but he luckily. landed on the couch, sprung back up, and you know. Yeah, uh, I missed that panel. You watched the whole panel in its entirety. I was there for the whole panel. So they, they even sang happy birthday to him at the end, which is why I know it's so fantastic. Did they allude to the rumored um, sequels or reboots? No, they didn't touch on it at all. Okay. Uh, they, it was really, it was a great panel to see all of them there. It was great to hear them. Some of it was kind of sad to see because it was like Christopher Lloyd had a very hard time hearing anything the, the host had to say. Uh, I think Tom Wilson did a masterful job. I heard it was hard yeah. to hear Chachi said that, yeah. Tom Wilson did a masterful job kind of like almost kind of taking over for, for Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. Whoever did the the mic for Michael J. Fox, because he was wearing a headset, like should have turned the volume up. Um, they really just kind of focused on Back to the Future. They focused on what it meant to them, what like the, the longevity of it. They didn't acknowledge any of the negative stuff like uh with crispin glover or anything like that it was really just a nice kind of you get to see three of the guys that you've seen 30 years ago uh Mm -hmm. together again very cool wow and so glad that you got to get that moment to to have a photo with all three of those icons together yeah i mean it's a pop culture icon 
a moment. Uh, and like I said, you know, Michael J. Fox's health is not great. Christopher Lloyd is getting up there in age and, you know, it, it, yeah, that was, that was, that was awesome that you got to, to experience that. Um, and then finishing up the birthdays, remember Max Casella from, uh, Doogie Howser, but also he was in Boardwalk Empire. He's a great actor. He's 56. Paul Giamatti, also 56. Happy birthday, Paul Giamatti. That's funny, because I would have thought he was older. Yeah, you would think I, that, I was right? just going to say that. I would have pictured him being 62. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. Max Casella, yeah, he's a, little, a lot older than Doogie Hauser, I think. Yeah, the actor, the, um, Neil Patrick Harris. Who was who was Max Casella? Was he the he his, the best friend? Doogie's best friend, the one with yeah. the uh, New York accent? The thick New York yeah, accent, Yeah, the one that yeah. was like 20 playing a 15-year-old. Yeah. Yes. He was exactly. also he was also in Newsies, wasn't he? Yep. yep, yep. So he's like five years older than the Neil Patrick Harris, who was like fifty, right? I, I at at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. Remember, step by step, my two dads, Stacy Keenan is forty eight. Oh yeah, I she was like one of my first crushes. Was she a first crush for you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe not my first, but she was she was definitely yeah. uh she was definitely early in my life a Yes. Yes. An object imagine. of interest. <laughs> yeah. I, I could okay. agree to that one. You could agree to that one, yeah. I guess oh, yeah. M- Alyssa Milano, I think, was mine. Oh well, yeah, Alyssa Milano was definitely <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Aubrey Anderson Emmons from Modern Family is 16. I believe that's the baby from uh, Modern Family. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It have to be. <laughs> you know, yep. if she's turning 16 now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so that's birthdays today. And that concludes Below the Belt Show for tonight, guys. Wow. What an incredible show from top to bottom. Any last minute plugs or promotions? I'll let you go first, Michael. I got none. I'm just okay. excited to go see uh, Beyond Spider Verse. I'm excited yes. for the Flash. Yes. Uh, it's a it's a good popcorn summer for movies. It is. It really okay. is. Yeah. And Zod, we'll be we checking those out, right? We'll be checking Absolutely. out. Uh, oh my some god. Flash. Not checking out. Those. Um, I don't know if uh, the Transformers is on, on. Maybe you should watch Bumblebee first, Zod, if you do want to watch. Should, it. I should watch, watch Bumblebee, Bumblebee first. Yeah. It's yeah. It's on HBO Max, isn't it? It should be, yeah. I think it's under that that umbrella. So, uh, um, and then closing out tonight's interview, Zod, another one of your favorites that I got to interview at Fan Expo Philadelphia. That's right, Killer Frost herself. Oh yes, Caitlin Snow, Danielle Panabaker. Yeah, uh, there's a there's an object of interest in later. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She's wonderful, and um, she only she was a very very brief interview, but a bit interview nonetheless. Yeah. Talk about her feelings about uh, Flash wrapping up. I thought I talked to her about her thoughts of joining the DCU. You have to tune in to hear what she says. Okay. So well, can't wait to hear it. I think that's a great great way to close the show. So uh, so we're gonna end with that guy. So on uh, behalf of uh, the panel here and everyone, we will see you guys next week with our some exclusive stuff. Uh, obviously, our interview with Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime. And we're going to talk about our experience at Tribeca. So uh, we're looking forward to that. So, guys, we'll see you next week. Until then. Peace. Peace. See you guys. Guys, we're here at Fan Expo Philadelphia. Actress extraordinaire, Danielle Panabaker, Caitlin Snow from The Flash. 
How has your Fan Expo experience been so far? It's great. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. What's been the highlight so far? Um, getting to see people. You know, it's nice to be here with Rose and getting to see some of the other um, actors from the Arrowverse. It was great. Yeah. Now, uh, have you seen any Killer Frost uh, cosplays? I just saw a really incredible one. She had the boots. She'd made the suit herself, the jacket. I guess she's been wearing it for four or five years now. She did great. Wow, fantastic. Now, nine seasons of The Flash. Wow. How's it feel to, for it? finally come to an end is it bittersweet is it how, what are your feelings about that yeah I mean it's cliche but I think bittersweet is definitely the word sad to say goodbye in particular to the people um, but also you know it's been a long run it's been a good run 184 episodes so that is a lot of episodes. So out of 184 episodes, were there any particular highlights? I mean, definitely the ones I directed, and particularly yes. the one I directed in this last season, yeah. um, in season nine. I'm really proud of that one. What made you want to step into the director's chair? Um, I loved collaborating with everyone, all the, all the crew members and all the different departments. I mm-hmm. really love getting to do that with all of them. Yeah. Now, theoretical question with Flashpoint, you know, Flash, uh, DC's Flash coming out. Would you possibly want to be involved in the if the Flash was to have some kind of uh, uh, presence in the DCU under James Gunn? And would you want to be a part of it? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to be a part of it. I think it's a great, uh, a great universe that they've created, and I'm excited to see the new direction that they take it in. Danielle, I'd love to see you in, 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 in any iteration of Flash, whether it's CW, whether it's DCEU. Come on, Danielle Padabaker, put her on there. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much, Danielle. Of course. Thank you very and much. And if you could, let us know who you are. And you're on Below the Belt show. Okay. That would be awesome. Hi, I'm Danielle Padabaker, and I'm on Below the Belt. Love it. Well, it has been a ill show tonight, and I think we have all learned some valuable lessons. This is your bot for the bad boys of Baltimore saying, Until next time, keep chilling. Like a villain. Bye, goodbye, 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 goodbye.